Good morning. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz get the win. They open the road trip the right way. They beat the Pelicans in New Orleans. And the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Cleveland Browns and keep their faint playoff hopes alive. Was it Big Ben's last game at Heinz Field? He doesn't really want to go into it, you know, probably, but he's crying in the postgame interview. So, yeah, it was his last game at Heinz Field. Uh, We'll get to the Monday Night Football in a few minutes. But right now, the Jazz. Jazz beat the Pelicans. That was not a great start offensively. They struggled, but I think this team offensively is really good. So it gets defined by its defense. And the Pelicans, when the Jazz were having a poor half, didn't take advantage of it. Trailed at halftime. Despite the fact the Jazz are struggling offensively, you knew they'd get it going. You knew they'd score points in bunches. There were 30-point quarters out there, and they were going to get them, and sure enough, they did. And the Jazz pull away and win pretty comfortably. Now, you'll hear this coming up in the postgame. There's some tension about you know the way the Jazz defend, the way the Jazz defend with Rudy Gobert off the floor. He was in foul trouble. Hassan Whiteside isn't back, so they had to go to the small ball lineup. And you know a lot was made of... How good can they be in the small ball lineup? They weren't good in the small ball lineup. Rudy in the playoffs gets pulled out of position. What it comes down to, and Conley and uh, Quinn Snyder will talk about this, and (laughs) Quinn with a little sarcasm. The small ball lineup is successful if the Jazz defenders stay in front of their guys. It's a pretty simple concept, really. Can they stay in front of their guys? Yeah, you can stay in front of your guys when you got Rudy Gobert behind you because the guys don't really want to get by you and go challenge Rudy. It makes life a lot easier. Now, if Rudy is in the game, and in this case it was because of the foul trouble, and he's not going to play 48 minutes in every game, I mean, the playoffs will push his minutes up there and try to get him, you know, not just to 35, but to 38 or 40 minutes a game. But still, when he's out, the other team starts driving to the rim, see if they can get a bunch of easy buckets. To a certain degree, the small ball lineup can be successful if the Jazz outscore those guys and just that small ball lineup is prolific offensively. But whether Rudy is in the game or not, can guys stay in front of their men? Because eventually they're going to face a team that can put five shooters on the floor. Because Golden State can do that. And eventually you're going to face Golden State. So guys, regardless of Rudy's on the floor or not, and regardless of how much we talk about the small ball lineup, Can the Jazz players stay between their man and the basket? Or can opponents take the Jazz off the dribble? And if they need the assist of a screen, uh, well, whatever. But can the Jazz stay in front of their guys as a group? And the answer largely has been, eh, eh, not really. Which means offset it by outscoring. If they score on most of their possessions when Rudy's out of the game, well, you score on all your possessions, or nearly all your possessions. Be even when Rudy's off the floor and when, when he's on the floor. But you can't get torched when he's off the floor. Now, that's the bigger picture stuff, which is what they're really talking about in the postgame coming up. As far as this specific game, there's a big gap between the top five teams in the league and teams 15, 20, or 25. And you can put the Jazz wherever you want in the top five. I would probably put them at number three if you want to put them at two or four or one or five, whatever. But the point is, with all of those teams, when you get down to a team like the Pelicans, there's a big gap. And the Pelicans have to be really good. And the Jazz were off their game early. You'll hear Quinn talk about them running in mud. And that first half offensively wasn't good, but I really didn't think that was going to last. They're too talented. they got too many guys who can make shots. Conley's going to hit some shots. Donovan's going to hit some shots. They're going to get their points. 
and they did, and they get the win. So it's 15-3 and in the last 18 games now since they lost the Pelicans at home. The Jazz are on a roll. They're playing really well. They got Denver on Wednesday and Toronto on Friday, and we'll see if they make it 17 out of 20. PK just kind of threw that number out there, and it is very close to happening. Uh, the Monday Night Football game, bit of a snoozer there. Pittsburgh and Cleveland insisted throwing the ball a lot. It didn't really move the ball up and down the field. Pittsburgh ended up kicking a lot of field goals and winning the game. So the Steelers keep their faint playoff hopes alive, but they only get in the playoffs if they beat Baltimore, which isn't a sure thing, and if the Jacksonville Jaguars beat the Colts, which seems really unlikely. It seems very unlikely. So Big Ben went out with a win at home, and the city can have its love affair with the quarterback, and... uh, Pittsburgh, the Steelers are to Pittsburgh what the Jazz are to Utah. And I know Pittsburgh has the Pirates, too. Um, and they got the Penguins also. Uh, but the Steelers are really important there. And Ben won two Super Bowls, and they love him. And, you know, it can be over the top. The victory lap was kind of Cal Ripken-ish there. And, uh, and then he loitered on the field and waited for the kids to come down and hug him and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, hey, we love our melodrama. You're lucky if you get to uh, play sports at the highest level until you're 40 and you have kids who can come down and hug you on the field. <laughs> Most of us, yeah, we get, we don't make high school teams. Or we do make high school teams, we don't make varsities. Or you make varsity and you're done your senior year in high school. Probably not going to have your wife and kids come down out of the stands at the 70,000-seat stadium. <laughs> but Roethlisberger, three Super Bowls and two wins, and uh, it's been a heck of a ride there in Pittsburgh. And now we are down to the final week of the season. A little bit of drama. Who will match up? Who's in? Who's out? Uh, there could be some teams backing out of the playoffs. The Raiders and Chargers have their winner-take-all showdown. Um, so we'll see how this all plays out down the stretch. All right, we've got to take a break. When we come back, uh, our basketball insider, Steve Cleveland, and then best of the Jazz postgame show. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz and the Pelicans playing last night. We're going to get to the best of the postgame show coming up in the next segment. Right now, Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. We had him on in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday. Obviously, he wasn't talking about the Pelican game. Uh, More about the Warrior game Saturday night and where the Warriors stack up in the NBA and how they play and how they've done this. I mean, the Warriors are just incredible. Here's Steve Cleveland with PK and I. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And the New Year kicked off with the Utes in the Rose Bowl, which was an enormous game and an enormous event. And you live in California, so you know all about that. And you've also lived in Utah, so you know how uh, crazy our state goes for big events. And we certainly did. And then there was a little game afterwards where the Utes played the Warriors. Excuse me, the Jazz played the Warriors. And I came away with that thinking... Oh my gosh, the Warriors have done such a great job of developing role players and young guys. Wiggins has a level of confidence now. He did not blink in the fourth quarter. He scored nine straight points, and Steph Curry made big shots before that and after it. So it's not like Curry didn't do anything, because he did. But And I know when you reintegrate guys, it could mess things up, but I'm feeling like the Warriors should be the overwhelming favorite to win the championship. Am I out of my mind? Is this recency bias because I just watched that game? Well, you know, uh, first of all, I agree with you, uh, especially when I sat there on Twitter or 
Instagram or somewhere or somewhere, and I saw Clay Thompson make 24 three-pointers in <laughs> three games. <laughs> I mean, they, they showed him making all 24. So somewhere on social media, I watched it a day or two ago, and it showed Clay making 24 threes in a row. Uh, he's he's going to be back soon. I, we'll see how that all figures out. But, I, you know, here's the thing about the Warriors. I actually watched that game. And I don't have an eye, and and I've watched pretty much all of it. I just, for whatever reason, I don't normally watch all of NBA games. But I was so intrigued by that game, and I'm I'm telling you right now that Andrew Wiggins, I mean, he's he's an All Star. I mean, he, I don't know if he'll make the All Star team, but I will tell you what, he is playing with such confidence, such resolve, and uh, it's fun to watch him, man. I mean, he is a huge piece of that. And th- and then to watch Otto Porter Jr., who I really don't even know, and I you know I, mean, I know him because I live in California, and everybody here is a Golden State fan in Northern California. But he has been just amazing. And then in that game, Iguodala hit big shots. And besides the fact that uh, uh, you know they they had 39 assists, that just tell, tells you. I mean, I'm sitting there watching my Lakers and just sick to my stomach. And there's no movement, and and Golden State just is in constant motion, and uh, you know, and they had to make big shots at the end to win, and and the Jazz certainly, I don't know, they scored at least I think 40 or so in the third quarter. They got themselves in a position where they could win that game. Wow, just thinking about Clay coming back and what this team's got going, that coaching staff, that organization, uh, they've really turned Wiggins and Porter and Iguodala. We you know you're going to get what you get, but. He hit a huge three in that game. But, uh, yeah, I, I came away feeling the same thing, is that these guys, it, they are hard to guard. And and they and they do rely on perimeter shots, but they have great shooters. Yeah, they really do. I like the one play where um, Curry's coming around from the left side, and he gets the ball in front of the Jazz bench, and he turns around and squares on shoots all in one motion and drops into three. And Ron Boone was doing the the uh, color commentating, and I like what he said. There was no, oh my gosh, and oh no, uh, hyperbolic standard or statement. Or however you say yeah. that word, he just said he's unbelievable. And the way he said it, it just like I'm going to go walk the dog. <laughs> he's unbelievable. And I thought about it, and that's really the best way to sum it up. Because it's happened so often for so long that you don't need to scream and yell and go, Dick Vitale, I'm oh baby, and all that stuff. Just He's unbelievable. And really, that says it all to me in an understated way to try to describe what this fella can do out on the basketball floor. Yeah, and, and he's in a perfect system that's been developed for him. And, uh, and Because you do have to spend a great deal of time chasing him and and, and, and finding him and knowing where he's at, which allows other guys to get more open shots. And then that's what happens on great teams that have great players. And, and what defines, I think, great teams is, is, you know, your fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh guys down, you know, in the depth chart. When, when they can, they just play with so much confidence. And, and I just can't tell you, no, I, I've just never seen a team move. And, and, and you know, listen, Phoenix and Utah are are great teams as well. They're going to be right in there, but nobody moves the ball offensively, and and they're underrated defensively as well. I mean, it, you don't think of Golden State, but I, I didn't realize it. But I think I heard somebody say that they were like, in terms of 
just point scorers. They're Golden State's number one in the NBA defensively. And I don't know. There's lots of categories, but uh, I think they're right up there at one or two. And and we're always talking about their offense, but the the defense is is really 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 good. And, and uh, a good friend of mine, Ron Adams, who was there for a long, he's still there with the Warriors. He's he's not on the front bench anymore. He's in a more of a supportive role. But, you know, I consider him one of the geniuses of the game. I watched him as a high school coach and a college coach, a junior college coach. But we, we do talk a great deal, but Golden State is really, really good defensively in terms of principles and where they're supposed to be. They're just, I guess the best word for me is they are absolutely connected at both ends of the floor. They are number one in defensive rating. I looked up while you were talking. Jazz are six, Suns are two, Warriors are one right yeah, now. I mean, and you could tell Ron Adams, the Gauchos really would have been somebody if he hadn't left. I'm still a little bummed about that. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll let him know that when yeah, you think know. when I see him. <laughs> That's probably, probably the only person who says that to him, but nonetheless. So when I, I always uh, say this, and then Pete always gets mad at me. Uh, but the NBA is a copycat league, whatever works, right? And so the pick and roll, which when Jerry Sloan had Stockton alone doing it, oh, Jerry's old school. This offense is old school. Now you flash forward 25, 30 years, and everybody's running the pick and roll, and the Warriors is old school. At times, I think I see bits of the flex offense, this pass and cutaway thing that we ran when I was in high school. Is the whole league going to spin around to that in a few years? Because the thing that really helps the Warrior defense is everybody's chasing these guys around, fighting through screens. It's bound to leave some guys fatigued and some guys missing shots late in game. Their offense is absolutely helping their defense. Well, I don't care what level you're at. If you're a high school coach or you're a junior college coach or Division One coach in the NBA, coaches watch a lot of film. And, and we, you know, coaches steal from others, concepts, ideas, set plays, quick hitters, you know, whatever it might be. So there, there will be an influence. And I, and I think that, you know, you, you build a team and an organization for a system. And Golden State has that system, and they know what they're looking for. You know, I, I've watched Cleveland play a couple of times, and and they're doing things so dramatically different with playing three seven footers. Well, that's not going to be something that a lot of people jump into because most teams aren't going to play three seven footers at the same time. But teams like Golden State, teams like the Jazz, teams like Phoenix, they're kind of the standard bearers in the NBA. And 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 I, I, I there's no way that every coach in the NBA and all of their assistants and, and you know they've got so much experience in the game is that you do see uh, Princeton principles. You do see flex action. You, you, you do see a wheel action. You do see a lot of back screens and back cuts. A lot of things that were prevalent in, at the collegiate level, with, depending on the program. And now, you know, it, 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 you, you see a lot of this type of movement. You didn't used to see this. I mean, the Lakers are still just playing power basketball, pounded, and, and, and and do that, but the game is changing. And I, I watched Charlotte play for, for a few minutes of the day, and guys are moving. And So, yeah, I, I do believe the league is going to go to more movement, more action with that. I mean, the, the ball screen is not going away. It, it's certainly going to be a, a prevalent part of the NBA, but it, it, it's, it's one of those things that movement with ball screens, with back cuts, just the tiny issues and, and, and the constant movement makes you really, really hard to guard. Now, that being said, you don't have guys that are really good shooters. 
And, you know, you kind of sometimes have to adjust to your talent. And where, where is the strength of our teams? And I was watching Cleveland. You know, you, you look at Mobley, young kid here, and, and, and they're kind of pounding the ball inside. And then Kevin Love steps out, hits some threes. So everybody has their own identity, a lot of it depending on personnel. But if you, I mean, I'm watching Chicago, for instance. I mean, who would have ever thought that Chicago would be, you know, in first place in the NBA East? We knew those trades took place, and we saw what happened. But you know, they're they're a, a team that can score in transition. They can beat you off the dribble. You know, they're not running. There's not a lot of action, but they keep the floor spread, and they have to respect shooters. And uh, they have you know they have guys that to exactly mean who can really attack the basket. So that's not gone away. A, a lot of the dribble drive and, and the penetration action is a big part of the NBA. It's also a big part of high school basketball in California right now and throughout, throughout the country. So uh, we do. Coaches will take and watch and, uh, and, and make tweaks. And that's one of the fun things about coaching is whether it's quick hitters. Like I used to always watch out-of-bounds plays, quick hitters, ISOs, late game stuff. I, I, when I would watch basketball, when I was really involved, I was always taking notes and implementing. And if any time you have a dead ball or a timeout, you know you need to come out of that timeout with some kind of action that's different than what you've been doing to kind of get a have an advantage. And so I know I know the NBA guys are all watching each other, and some have the personnel to play like you know Golden State to a certain degree, but a lot of them don't have that personnel set to play that way. But certainly the concepts of all these different types of actions that have accumulated over the years, it's, uh, it, the, the NBA is not, I mean, obviously the screen and roll is a, a big part of that, and, and, uh, but there's a lot of other stuff going on that uh, has really made the NBA fun to watch. From the Jazz perspective, I think they're going to have to play much better to beat the Warriors if they should get them in a postseason or even Phoenix for that matter. But if I look at this individual game uh, against the Warriors, they lost, and you're you know you don't accept losing and don't think that uh, it's okay by any stretch. But if I look at it, I sort of can just say to myself, I can rationalize very easily with you got Ingles, 1 of 7, 0 of 6 from 3, Mitchell, 4 of 19, 2 of 9, Conley, 4 of 13, 2 of 6. Shots didn't fall. So from the Jazz perspective, I'm nowhere near getting nervous or pushing any type of panic button. No, especially when, you know, because it was, it was an aberration. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have all the analytics that access to all that, but Mitchell going 4 for 19 at home. I, you know, if that happened to Golden State, okay, that makes sense. But, but you're right. They, they didn't shoot the ball well. And, I mean, the third quarter they played well. But, but they're, they're a team that uh, has the capacity and capability to beat Golden State. And Golden State, I mean, Iguodala had made some big shots. And we keep saying that, you know, when you, when you take a look at, at, at the shooters that Golden State has, but they made big baskets late in the game, and they've got a lot of confidence. But, you know, when, when it comes down to nutcracking time and it's time to win games, you get in the playoffs and things, you know, I, I think teams are going to play. You know, I mean, I, you're going to see – you've seen a little bit already, but guys are going to get doubled. You know, you're going to play people differently. You're going to give certain guys shots. And that all gets figured out through the course of the year. But when playoffs time comes, you know, you, you've got to have a solid foundation offensively and defensively 
But oftentimes, adjustments in games are, are the difference where, hey, you know what? We're going to take the ball out of Steph's hand every time he touches it. We're going to make somebody else beat, beat us. Well, right now, Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter Jr. and uh, I forgot another, another young player, they've stepped up and made those shots when you, know, you took, the, took the ball out of his hands. But Clay Thompson coming back is going to be even more difficult. But I, I don't think there's any reason for the Jazz or the Phoenix Suns uh, or uh, you know, a few other teams there in the West. That I mean, well, those are the top three, and they're probably going to be there right at the end. But there's no reason to panic on that. It's, it's one of those things that I see, uh, you know, there's what? We, probably, we played half, I mean, we pretty much played almost half the season. And so there's a lot of basketball left. But I like the Jazz a lot, and I think they have a great opportunity. Uh, but they, when they have bad shooting, actually, because they're not, they're not getting a lot of points in the paint. I mean, Gobert is scoring around the paint and stuff, and there's not a lot of attacking the rim. Certainly, Mitchell is the, is the one guy on that team that can really take it to the rack, rack and, and create, as well as Clarkson at times. But you know, they're, they're right in the thick of it, and uh, they just got to keep playing and uh, doing what they're doing. But the adjustments that could happen to make – you're in the second half of this season, there will be adjustments. And people will play people differently, and then when they get to the playoffs, the same. There'll be more adjustments. But I, I mean, Utah offensively is number one in the you know in the league offensively, one number one field goal percentage. Uh, they're you know in, in the top five or six defensively. I mean, they're right there in a position to to win an NBA championship. And I, I think that's um, that's what they're thinking, and I know that's what the fans are hoping. On the college basketball front, the West Coast Conference had the entire uh, schedule wiped out this weekend. The Pac-12 played uh, two games and had three games canceled. How many games a week can college kids be playing? I know in AAU they play a bunch of games, but they're not getting on planes and flying all over the place uh, between every game either. Uh, How should these games be rescheduled, do you think? If they should. You know... I I, I I don't I don't know how they're going to do it, and uh, you know it's the WCC is not you know they're not going across the country for games, and and you, they're, you know the distances uh, they all live on the West Coast, so it's probably easier there where people can get on a bus, don't even have to worry about a flight and get to games. But I, I think it's going to be it's problematic. I I just worry that when I start seeing seven, eight, nine, ten games being postponed, it. And to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I kind of I don't know if this is a conspiracy theory or what, or you know, is this all COVID? Is it situations where they have these health protocols like the NBA has? Is it, I mean, everything seems to be asymptomatic. Uh, somebody gets tested positive. I, I don't even know what the time frame is for college players. Do they have to? wait three or four days or 48 hours, be retested again. I don't understand a lot of that. My, my thinking is, and, and this is, I don't know, I'm sitting there thinking our, our programs, you hope it's all on the up and up. You know, well, we've got, we've got a kid here. We're playing Gonzaga Wednesday, and we do have a couple kids with you know, COVID, and, and I don't think we want to take a chance. I mean, I don't know who's making these decisions. I hope it's athletic directors, and I hope it's at the highest level of integrity. But when you start seeing all this, you go, wow, how are they going to figure this out? You know, and is it going to come back down to because uh, they're not going to be able to make up all the games. I just don't see that happening. And how are we going to decide 
who qualifies it. Is the conference tournament going to be exactly who I would determine? And then, you know, when you examine uh, the pedigree of a team over some teams play 17 games, some play 22, some play 28, uh, that for me is uh, hard to to grasp and put my arms around. It it makes me nervous. It just does make me nervous. And uh, hopefully it it resolves itself and we can get things figured out. But, uh, you know, you played Gonzaga twice and you played BYU once and St. Mary's twice and USF once. And, 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 you know, you've got five or six losses, and then there's other teams in your league who haven't played, only played one of those teams. Whereas the parity, how's that all going to get figured out? Will it just be the, you know, the, NA, the net or the RPI of a team that, you know, gets teams into the NC2A tournament? Those things, it just kind of reminds me of things that happened a couple of years ago that uh, I hope we don't go to that point because it's just, you, you want to see this time of the year, you want to be able to see teams play collegiately and, and that, that this is an exciting time, especially in February and March. Hey, Steve Cleveland. He joins us every week here to talk basketball on the zone. The former BYU basketball coach, Steve, we appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good week. There's Steve Cleveland with PK and I. When we come back, the best little post game show, the Jazz and the Pelicans, coming up next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz open up a five-game road trip in New Orleans. This game will take us to the midseason mark. That was game 37. When the trip's over, it'll be 41 down and 41 to go. Let's get to the best of the Jazz post-game show now. The Jazz and the Pelicans in New Orleans. It's your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jazz win last night over the Pelicans, 115-104. to Great night from Donovan Mitchell, particularly good fourth quarter. 29 points from Donovan, five assists. He grabbed three rebounds as well. Uh, Mike Conley, very good, 22 points, eight rebounds, seven assists. Bogdanovich with 21. Rudy Gobert with 10 to go along with 17 rebounds. And Clarkson had 14 coming in off the bench. Uh, Jazz did a nice job limiting Brandon Ingram. Uh, held him to 10 points on three of eight. Team shooting. Jonas Valanciunas had a nice night with 25, uh, but uh, not enough as the Jazz get to win over the Pelicans, 115-104. to 104. Let's get you some post-game sound. Let's start things off with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. Coach, how, how important is, was it for you guys to be able to, um, to put Saturday behind an emotional game, you know, kind of regroup mentally, uh, collectively, and, and, and come out and play with the energy that, that you guys played with tonight, especially in the second half? Yeah, I guess I don't, I don't, I don't think it was about Saturday as much as it was just us finding energy. Um, but, you know, hopefully you move on after every game and try to get better. But, you know, we were in mud early in the game. Uh, and when that happens, we basically build a wall for ourselves and, uh, you know, we can't have any pace. We can't have any force. And that that's that's hard a hard way to play, especially when we're a team that's trying to attack and get in the paint. And it's particularly difficult when you've got you know ball pressure up the court in the back court. You know you're getting pressured, but you can't beat your man because you're running into one of your teammates. Um, so we just we weren't running and we weren't connected, and you know it makes it hard for us to generate shots. We you know, kind of walk into pick and roll and then try to make something happen. And um, pretty soon we're up against the shot clock. So when, when, when we actually started running, whether it be on makes or misses, um, it's just a different mindset. And, you know, I thought, you know, eventually we were able to 
you know, to, to, to get some defensive rebounds. And we just have to understand that, you know, it's going to be hard for Mike Conley to get a rebound with Valanciunas. It's going to be hard for Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell to get a rebound against Valanciunas. But if Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell and Boyan fight Valanciunas, we got a chance to get a rebound. And that's what I saw late is just everybody making an effort to be, you know, to be involved in a play as opposed to guys, you know, watching and hoping someone else is going to get it and saying, shoot, you know, they got it. Uh, I thought the glass late was big. Eric Walden. Hugh, you guys have been relatively subdued from three-point range the last five games or so tonight, uh, kind of break out 19 of 39. How much do those little, those, those things like you just mentioned, playing with energy, the rebounding, the ball movement contribute to that effort? Well, that, that's where it starts with the running for us. And it, it's not, you know, it's not like the, the old Lakers showtime where we're, running for layups and dunks, but we've got to run in order to create space so that we can play in, you know, in a larger space where our quickness and our shooting, um, that combination can, can give us an advantage. So, um, I, I think we've got a few guys that are passing some threes up that we need to take them. Um, but again, if, if you're not running, um, by definition, you're not spaced. Uh, and then everything gets harder because, you know, you're not able to make the kind of quick decisions that we need. So I thought that we started to do that in the second half. And I also thought our execution, um, that generated some of those threes that you're talking about, um, was really good late. You know, we were, we were smart about, attacking certain mismatches. We recognized, you know, when we were getting blitzed and we were spaced in those situations. And, you know, there was a few times I thought, you know, Rudy had the ball at the basket and maybe three or four times it just plays that, that he makes. And, you know, he's made all year that just didn't happen tonight. Um, I think because of some of the physicality, but uh, our ability to play through those possessions and not um, to get to the next play and keep guarding, I thought late was also important. Sarah Todd. Quinn, after the last game, Mike mentioned that when you guys are playing without Hassan or without one of your sort of traditional bigs, that you, they, the guards have to sort of retrain their minds defensively because you're not trying to force a guy to Rudy or Hassan. So when you, when you have guys out there without one of those traditional bigs, what are some of maybe a couple of things that you want those guards to keep in mind? So let me get this right. If, if Rudy's not in, we actually have to defend and contain the ball because if Rudy's not in, we get beat. He doesn't, you know, I, I guess I, I get to go back to Mike and ask him what he meant because like basically um, it's true when Rudy's not there, he can't cover up our mistakes. But I think part of our growth as a team is those guys that are on the perimeter Um you know, we just need to be determined to stay in front no matter who's on the court. Um, you know, I, and I saw some possessions late. Um, and when I say that, uh, you know, that's not necessarily a one-on-one -on -one situation. It's, you know, all the other guys being shifted, you know, and creating a crowd, um, you know, and then it's, you know, if someone's going to go by you, don't let them beat you to the middle of the floor where they have more options. Um, and that's going to be something for us. That's, you know, the boards, 
like tonight and being able to stand front. There's, there's going to be times where we stand front and, you know, a bigger guy like Ingram is going to shoot over you, but you know, at least that's the shot they got to make as opposed to getting to the rim. And that's something that, you know, I think Mike and Donovan and Roy, all those guys, you know, taking pride in that containment and taking pride in defensive rebounding because um, those are the, the, the areas that, um, you know, that when we can do that, then Rudy really becomes effective um, because he's not cleaning up a mistake. He's impacting a play in another way. Time for one last question, Andy Larson. You guys limited Brandon Ingram to 10 points, three of 18 shooting. What was kind of the key to success there? Well, we had a number of guys that, that ended up on him because of transition situations. And, you know, kind of to Sarah's point earlier, I thought um, we did a really good job um, of being disciplined, you know, and not fouling him and keeping him in front and making him try to shoot contested jumpers. Um, and then when he did go to the basket, you know, we had really good communication where Rudy was able to switch on to him and contest his shot. And, you know, that, that's where that, that, th those plays there are the ones that, you know, we really, that, that's the play we want. And then we're, you know, a lot of times exposed on the glass. Um, but tonight, to be honest with you, after that did happen, you know, I thought our guys did an unbelievable job fighting Valanchunas on the post. He, he got some buckets, but, you know, some of our smaller guys that got switched on to him, you know, really worked and made it hard for him to get the ball and get in good position in, in that situation. So the combination of, you know, guarding those guys, both Valanchunas and Ingram together, I think was something that we did well as a team. There you go. That's Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder after his team wins 115-104 over the New Orleans Pelicans. Let's get to the players. Let's hear from Donovan Mitchell. Kind of want to go a little bit off the subject with you for one question. Um, yeah. You know, what's your favorite Dwayne Wade memory um, of when he was a player and what are the, the attributes physically that, that you know, you've tried to emulate and, and, you know, what do you think has made him such a good player in his career? Um... My favorite memory. Um, I would say the playing the Pacers. I think it's him and Bron in this moment. Um, so they're playing the Pacers, and I think it was pretty cool how they just did this and manipulated the game in, uh, in the fourth quarter. And then overtime, um, it was like they took turns, you know, go scoring, continuing to score. And Dwayne Wade kind of took over and, you know, hit a, a – a BS shot. You could tell him I said that too. You could put that in there. Uh, tied it up. Um, kind of did the whole, this is my house thing. Not, not the one that he, where he stood on the table. He kind of did the whole, this is my house. And then forced it to overtime. I think it was over Paul George. And then Brown followed it up with a three in overtime to kind of clinch it. That was a pretty cool moment for me. Uh, at that time, I was a Heat fan. Uh, it's one of the ones that sticks out uh, to me. Um, I don't know why, but that's just one of the first ones I can, I can think of. Everybody's going to say, you know, when he gets on the table and yelling this Mario, he hits the game winners. But, you know, for me, just watching him from afar growing up, not realizing how much of an impact he would have on my life and my career um, to guarding him his last year, you know, last few, his last year, uh, last two years, I think. Um, you know, I have a few photos of us, just me guarding him and just the smile on my face, I think is pretty dope. Uh, just because, you know, you're witnessing, you know, you're playing against greatness, you understand this is really the last time he's going to be on a basketball court and you're, I'm there doing, guarding it, uh, guarding him, 
Um, and then what makes him special, man, like I, I go back to his third year in the league, you know, his stardom and his fame and his, his level of play took off in a matter of three years, uh, 24 years old, you know, manipulating the game and against a great team in the Dallas Mavericks, um, leading team full of vets on that team to, to a championship, um, when they were down and, and they came back and, 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 and did what they were supposed to do, you know, against the free throw line. Like there's so many different things that I just look at. I'm like, man, at a, at, at a young age, you know, be able to do that at the biggest stage, you know, one of those things, I think that's very, really impressive, um, to now, you know, being an owner of a team, you know, being around him a lot, talking to him a lot, you know, it's, it's been great. You know, I'm appreciative of it. I'm, I'm honored to have that. Um, I hope that answers your question. That's pretty much, you know, it. Eric Walden. Don, you guys have been relatively subdued from three point range the last five games or so tonight, you guys go 19 of 39. What was kind of the difference? Um, the the kind of the, the screw it mentality, just let it fly, you know, not overthinking it, just catch and shoot, letting it go. We got some good looks too. Um, we've played two teams who have pretty athletic long wings. Um, so our shots aren't going to be as open as they are against other teams. And, you know, we kind of got to a point where we just said, you know what, screw it. We're just going to let it fly and let it shoot and finding guys and continue moving the ball. And that's who we are. Like I said, uh, last game, you know, sometimes these reads are just shoot it, you know, cause if you get, if you shot fake, you know, that might be the best shot of the possession, you know, you get into the paint. Now you're dealing with, you know, six ten, six eleven, and then the wingspans that come with it. So, um, sometimes just letting it go with confidence, you know, we did that tonight, got guys, good looks. And I think that's been, you know, the biggest thing is just continuing to do what we do and shoot. Ben Anderson. Don, it seems like you break more guys' ankles now than you used to when you got into the NBA. What's that process been like for you uh, as you've added that to your game? And then what what is that kind of like in the moment? What are you looking for uh, when you pull back and step back? Um, honestly, I I don't know what I'm looking for. I think the biggest thing is, you know, for instance, tonight, you know, the biggest thing for when I drive right, I'm a dominant right driver. It's no secret. Um, but you know, if you try to cut me off, that's kind of where I get to the pullback. If you don't cut me off, I'm getting to the rim. And I think my finishing has allowed me to, uh, progress to get into that because guys and teams don't want me to get to the rim. So they're so determined to get back in front, which allows me to kind of get to those moves or they're trying to take away my right hand, which allows me to kind of go behind my back and get to my left. Uh, so I think it really starts with being able to finish the score downhill, um, because that forces teams to want to get back in front of you. Now you're pulling back. Now you're stopping, changing direction, and uh, getting into the paint. Sarah Todd, Don, what are you what are you looking at on the stat sheet? What are you looking for? I'm just looking how we we guarded and who who did what. You know, not necessarily just the points. You know, Royce O'Neal did a hell of a job on Brandon Ingram tonight, three of eighteen uh, for ten points. Um, I do want to say this though. Um, Herb Jones is, is, I think is going to be in this league for a long time. Uh, got to give him his props. He's made it tough on me every night we've played him. Um, he's, he's a guy that, you know, doesn't talk much, doesn't do much, doesn't say much, but he goes out there and, and competes, you know, tonight he was four, eight, four, 11, 11 points. And, but defensively he's, he's, he's tough. Um, I want to give him his props for that. Um, because he's, he's a guy that makes you work, makes you think, um, and just kind of comes to work and does his thing. So he's going to be in the league for a while, and I, and I hope he is because he's he's a hell of a hell of a player, hell of a kid. But you know, we're the same age, but kid, but whatever. Um, but he's he's a guy that you know 
can make life hard for, for scores like myself. Um, but yeah, just kind of seeing, you know, you know, turnovers, uh, free throws, where guys got shots, how many shots, you know, that that's, that's the biggest thing, you know, um, Devante shot four or 12, like making God, making it tough, you know, on those guys, but you got to give credit to Royce, man, Mike, you know, making it tough. Jones had a, an okay game, you know, solid game, but Rudy made Rudy countered it and continued to, to, to fight. We're asking Rudy to do a lot, especially with a sign out. Um, so that's pretty much what I'm looking at as a whole. Uh, Brett Martel, AP. Hey, Donovan. Um, I think there's about four and a half minutes left in the game, and Josh Hart was guarding you pretty tight on the perimeter, and you hit that step back three. And I was just wondering if you could recall what um, were you thinking at that point, and what do you think a shot like that does, or how does how does that affect a game in the late stages? Um, it's kind of demoralizing in a way, you know, being able to hit a shot late clock like that. You know, I understood that there was, you know, nobody on the right side. So if I drove, it'd be, you know, like I said before, kind of driving into length and having to make possibly a tough pass late clock, uh, where they they've been they were good at rotating and scrambling. So you know, those are the shots that I work on late clock in those situations. Um, just continuing to find your spot, you know, because at the end of the day, that's what I that's what I'm here to do. Um, and being when I'm in those situations, just kind of just going back to what I've been working on and repping. Um, and I think that's really where that came from. But those, that's a big shot, you know, and, you know, and I think you may consider it a tough shot, but for me, it's, it's normal because I've worked at it, you know, when you work at something for so long. So I'm um, just kind of get into your spot, get into somewhere you've continually put work in and just letting it fly. Sometimes it goes in and then you looked at the end when the shot I hit over, uh, I missed over uh, Walker. Uh, it's the same shot, you know, it just went in and out. So, you know, not, it's not always going to go in, but when you continually put the work in, you know, you trust it and you let it fly. That is Donovan Mitchell. Big night for Donovan. 29 points, five assists, three rebounds. Donovan was 11 of 19 shooting. Let's now let you hear from Mike Conley. Hey, Mike. So uh, Quinn mentioned that you guys are not the Showtime Lakers in that you don't run for layups and dunks, but you're running for spacing and, and creating better looks at, op- at open shots. Um, what kind of was the process of, of, of getting such great looks tonight? Um, I, I think first um, was just trying to get get some kind of stop and get a you know get a rebound box out, get a rebound and run. Um, we didn't really get into a good flow until we started getting out, you know, pushing the ball, throwing it ahead. Uh, like you said, we weren't necessarily getting layups, but we were we were creating um, opportunities for ourselves by you know throwing it ahead, driving it to the paint. Uh, kicking it out to the next guy, getting easy looks. And uh, I think it allowed everybody to kind of get rhythm, touch the ball, and uh, get a good flow to our game. Tony Jones. Um, You know, there's an adage, you know, that kind of says don't let one loss turn into two or whatever. You know, what what was the key for you guys to to come back and, and just play well? You know, tonight, to not only start off the road trip, but just kind of, you know, get Saturday. Um, out of your minds a little bit? Well, I, I think, number one, you know, this team, we've been pretty resilient all year. I think we haven't let too many things kind of, you know, sit too long. Uh, lost in, hasn't been too heavy. I think we've learned from every every individual game. And, you know, that, that game against the Warriors, we learned from, learned a lot about ourselves and, and small ball situations. And, um, obviously, stuff that we can work on. But coming out here to New Orleans, start the trip, and we were just refocused on them, on matchups, uh, what we needed to do to get the job done, and we got there and, and did it. All right, time for last one, Sarah Todd. 
Mike Donovan just had a, a lot of glowing things to say about Herb Jones, uh, especially as a defender. I'm wondering kind of what you see out of him and, and just the, the small bit that you've seen. I think he's been phenomenal um, for a young guy to come in and take the challenge of guarding, you know, guys like Donovan, some of the best players in the league, um, the way he moves his body, the way he, you know, is able to, to, you know, do the things he does. It's obvious that he's a, a natural defender, but it seems like he really watches film and, and really studies the game. So just uh, it's been, it's been fun to compete against him. I know Donovan has probably said enough about him, but uh, he's been, he's been a bright spot uh, for their team. There's Mike Conley, 22 points, eight rebounds, seven assists from uh, Mike, who, of course, is the model of consistency, never too high, never too low. Let's uh, wrap things up with Boyan Bogdanovich. Boyan, how's it going? Congrats on the win. Um, I want to talk about the end of the first half and especially uh, the the 10-1 run that you guys did in the third quarter, uh, the starting in the beginning of the third quarter. Uh, how was the, the talks uh, with you and Queen, uh, the team and Queen, uh, during halftime and uh, speaking about basketball, what did you guys adjust uh, in order to get the win in the second half? Thank you. I mean, we adjust just playing, playing a little bit faster and 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 better, better defense. I mean, second half we ran a lot of sort of pick and rolls with uh, with Donovan and Mike because we knew that they're kind of doubling, doubling Donovan. So we did a great, great job and great, great reads out of these pick and rolls and then he had a he had a couple ISO situation that he converted to the points but uh but yeah speech in halftime was to try to to play a little bit faster and and and, and move the ball a little bit better. Sarah Todd Boyan how how do things change for you defensively when you don't have Hassan backing up Rudy? I mean, it's it's completely different defense, but uh, but Ocho is is doing doing great job. We are kind of changing the the lineup and changing our our pick and roll defense. Depends who we guarding, so it's also it's also something to look up. He's doing great job for for us, and it's also preparing for probably for something that we're gonna play later, maybe. Last question, Eric Walden. Hey, Boyan, you guys hadn't been this good in terms of number of threes made and efficiency of making them in the last five or six games. Kind of what was the difference tonight in terms of uh, getting those good looks from outside? I mean, we had a lot of lot of great corner corner threes, corner looks. And then, like I said, every team is playing us differently, especially our, our pick and roll pick and roll players. So like I said, they were doubling Donovan. So he was making great reads out of out of those double teams and and, and he was finding us and, and JC was pretty pretty hot in a, in the first quarter and in the beginning of the second hitting three threes in a in a row. So we are just moving the ball and we are playing the the, the right way. There's Bogdanovich, twenty one points, eight of seventeen shooting five of eleven from three is the Jazz win. One fifteen to one oh four over the New Orleans Pelicans up next for the Jazz. They'll take on the Denver Nuggets coming up tomorrow night. The game will tip off at eight o'clock. Pre-game coverage here on the station begins at seven. There's the best of the most game show, the Jazz and the Pelicans. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are coming up next. 
Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Here comes Donovan on the right side. Donovan crosses over, pulls back, and hit. Bogdanovich powers in the lane on Graham and scores it. And Bogey's taking advantage of some mouses in the houses tonight. Double pick waiting. He gets to the right. He fires the three. He hit on off the bounce three off a squeeze pick and roll. And Donovan Mitchell buries it. He's got 24 in the game. He lines up Josh Hart, one of his better friends. Pulls for three on a step back and hit. Oh, Donovan Mitchell, you are magnificent. Utah Jazz open their five-game road trip with a victory. They win 115-104 in New Orleans. Donovan Mitchell leading the way with 29 points. Mike Conley adding 22 points, eight rebounds, and seven assists. BK, the offense wasn't great in the first half, and yet they still had the lead. A real bad sign for the Pelicans. Oh, I knew. I knew. In fact, I knew before the game that that was a bad sign for them. How'd you do that? Because they're not good. There it is. And yet they had beaten the Jazz. You love that thing going on, uh, the law of numbers within the game. Yes. <laughs> I look at the talent, see who's better. You wanted a 17-3 and run out of the Jazz. You expected a 17-3 and run out of the Jazz. They were nearly there. I demanded it. 15-3 and in their last 18. You have two more games to demand it. Uh, yeah, I'll demand it. And I'll demand, I demand multiples, not just one. Jazz off today. They're in Denver to play the Nuggets tomorrow. 8 o'clock tip for that one. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. And the right hand hammer. Right side. Joel Embiid puts his arms up for the home crowd. Rebounded by Adams. Grizzlies get a stop. Morant pushes. Gets by Durant to the rim. Jams with the right hand. Oh, get out of the way. James Johnson. Pool. Left side with a triple. It's up a good pool. After Silva hit two free throws, nails a three, and it's 106-96 Warriors. Simons hits a screen to the wing again. Another three on the way. It's good again. Anthony Simons with 28. He has made eight threes in this game. Highlights from the NBA. Trey Young goes for 56 points. Highest point total in the NBA this season. It's a career high for him. But the Blazers beat the Hawks. 136 to 131, the final score in that one. Yeah. Anthony Simons also had a career high 43. Guys, filling it up. Who? Anthony Simons. Never heard of him. Okay. Where'd he go to college? Don't know. Where'd he go to college? Anthony Simons? Yeah. You never heard of him? I've heard of him. I've heard of uh, who's the other Anthony? Hardaway? When you, when you have a name like that, you can't copy it. Like, there should be nobody else named Kobe, nobody else named Shaq. You know what I mean? You, you just, you can't go in Anthony Hardaway, so you can't go that. You know what I'm saying? But you can't. You cannot. No, I think he actually didn't go to college. I was going to say, he never Simons. played I think college. he played at that IGM spiel. IMG Academy. What did I say? IMG? It's MIG? What is it? GIM? It's IMG. It's in Florida. <laughs> Bradenton, baby. Yes, I think that's where he went, right? Yes, correct. He did that thing. and He did a jazz workout here during the pre-draft Waited process. out the time 
which seems so silly and arbitrary that they have that to begin with, but he's one of those dudes. And I think we'll see more of those types. That's why I asked you about college, because there was no college. And for those guys, yeah, that's what they should do. If you can make it, then it's uh, obviously the good thing for you. If you can't, I guess if you can't, you should you could always go back to college, although you know you wouldn't have the typical college experience if you're a twenty some year old freshman living in the dorms. That would be probably a little awkward. <laughs> Do your dorm have one of those guys? We had a couple of those returning students. I don't. One guy recall. was like an outrageously tw- old twenty four. <laughs> I lived in the dorms but two years. Bunch of eighteen and nineteen year olds. I didn't live in the dorms at uh, in Tempe, so I, I, I'm sure they're. There were, but I know I looked at, you know, how to shoot classes with seniors, and they certainly seemed way older than me at the time. Kyle Kuzma, 36 points, 14 rebounds, former youths with huge stat line there. Wizards beat the Hornets 124 to 121. Yeah, get away from LeBron and rediscover your game. Yeah. This game obviously took a massive hit when those two were on the same team together. DeMar DeRozan, 29 points. Bulls beat the Magic, 102-98. Sixers have been good. Everyone's got high expectations for the Nets. But look at the Bulls go, PK. You got any faith in them in the postseason? Well, I have to see what the others are, you know, because they've got the trade with uh, Simmons available. And that's going to happen at some point, you'd think. And then who's available for the Nets? So we're still, you know, five months away from yep. that. And so. you got to see if the Bucks get healthy. I left them out. Obviously, they're a big player in the East, but they're going to have to be healthy, as is everybody. So I like what the Bulls did, and bringing in Donovan to, in order to get to the top, you got to get to the middle. At first, usually, you know, there's very few examples of teams not being very good, make a trade, and all of a sudden they are that they're that good. So they've made a major step because it seemed like they were running around in place for years, and now they're obviously a very solid team with a bunch of veteran guys. The Bulls right now are two games. They're in first place, so two games in front of the Nets, two in front of the Bucks, and three and a half up on Miami. They picked up a game last night while the Bulls were beating the Magic. The Pistons were beating the Bucks 115 to 106, and the Grizzlies were just hammering the Nets. 118-104, Ja Morant, 36 points, 8 assists. Ja rules, man. Ja rules. I did not see that game, but I saw people complain about Harden folding up the tent and quitting in the third quarter of that game. He folded up the tent? And quit, yeah. Who said Mailed it in. I will find it for you on Twitter. Yes. Because they're going to have to answer to me. <laughs> okay, that's good. I was watching the Jazz when I saw it in a little bit of Monday Night Football. Did not see the Nets. Clay Thompson set to make his return to the Golden State Warriors lineup Sunday. There are multiple reports that he will return Sunday after more than two years away due to injuries. Final decision on his status will be made Friday after the team returns. They're on the road. They got back-to-back games with Dallas and New Orleans coming up. And, of course, they lead the West without him a game up on the Suns and two and a half up on the Utah Jazz. The Warriors beat the Heat 115-108. Jordan Poole leading away with 32 points. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. 
Ben under center. Najee gets a fake over the middle. The pass is caught, and that's a touchdown. Deontay Johnson crossing pattern in front of the defender, right to left. Delpit couldn't keep him out of the end zone. Third and three. Najee gets the call, cuts it back through the hole. He's on his way. He's at the 25, 20, 15, 10. Pittsburgh Steelers touchdown. Go, baby. How about Najee Harris? Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Cleveland Browns 26-14. Ben Roethlisberger expected to be his final home game. Lots of signs, fans hanging out after the game. He took a lap around the field, high-fiving people around the perimeter of the field. Pittsburgh still has some playoff hopes. Not much, but some. They need Jacksonville to pull a massive upset and beat Cincinnati, and they need to beat Baltimore. But that was the send-off for Roethlisberger there, a long career. He's pushing 40, and he's no Tom Brady. Yeah, I don't think anybody is, right? Cleveland's eliminated. Baker Mayfield says he'll have off-season surgery on the torn labrum and his non-throwing shoulder. See if he plays in the final game of the year or not. Cincinnati playing Cleveland, and Cleveland doesn't have anything to go play for because they're eliminated, but Cincinnati's still playing for seeding and home field advantage in the playoffs. Day after dismissing Antonio Brown for leaving the field mid-game in New York, Tampa Bay Buccaneers coach Bruce Arians told reporters they have no regrets. They just hope the best for him. It was very hard. I wish him well. If he needs help, I hope he gets some. It's very hard because they do care about him. Sure. And Raiders rookie cornerback Nate Hobbs arrested on a misdemeanor charge at DUI early Monday morning, hours after his team returned from a last-second victory over the Colts. Comes two months and one day after wide receiver Henry Ruggs III was involved in a fiery high-speed car crash, claimed the life of a 23-year-old woman and her dog, and has Ruggs facing up to 50 years in prison on felony DUI and reckless driving charges. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. It's free agent season, PK. Can you follow all the quarterbacks with the transfers and the potential transfers? Yes. Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams announced on Twitter Monday he's entering the transfer portal. However, that does not mean he's leaving Oklahoma. He's keeping the Sooners as an option. Dave had a coaching change. He replaced Spencer Rattler this season as a Sooner starter. Rattler has already transferred out. UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel announced his commitment to UCLA. However, he's flipped his commitment to Oklahoma, expecting to join the Sooners, expect it. He thinks Caleb Williams isn't coming back and that he is leaving. So musical chairs continue. So if he does come back, then we have another opportunity for Gabriel to transfer again. Exactly. He could change his mind one more time. I want to see what the record is. I'm going to go like five in one year. (laughs) Georgia quarterback Stetson Bennett is a native of the Peach State, says he is not carrying the weight of expectation knowing the Bulldogs haven't won a national title in 41 years. Maybe I'm not capable of holding that weight on my shoulders, but no, I'm just treating it as a football game. Do I know what that means to a lot of people? Yes. Am I trying to play some kind of savior by winning a national championship for millions of people? No. I don't think that's my job. Yeah, okay. Can he beat Alabama? No. Yeah, okay. Last bowl game of the season outside of that national championship game. Tonight, LSU and Kansas State, Texas Bowl, 7 p.m. on ESPN. LSU reportedly down to... 39 scholarship players. They have quarterbacks, although the quarterbacks are walk-ons. They're not scholarship guys. 
They've had injuries, they've had academic issues, they've had opt-outs, and they got some guys in COVID protocol. So they've turned 85 into 39. Well, I don't Coaching really care about that. There. They can do whatever. I think the the thing to watch on the Oklahoma transfer is does he follow, uh, what's his face, Riley to SC, and then what does Jackson Dart do? He's a local kid. Does he want to leave? Does he stay and say, well, I'll compete with him? Or does he think there's not any competition, that's his guy, I'm out of here. And if so, where does he go? Yeah, so that would be a, a sign to watch rather than what Dustin Gabriel does or whoever, what the hell, the hell his name is. Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, Dustin Gabriel played for BYU. You say the uh, former Cougar? <laughs> Roman Gabriel. <laughs> uh, Famous Gabriels, bring him on. So, uh, I don't really care what happens there, but it will be interesting to see what happens with Jackson Dart. What does he want to do? Because he showed promise, certainly as a freshman in somewhat of limited opportunity there. There are the headlines. That is what is trending. And it is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Dane Marshall, Milford High School football coach, is going to join us to talk about Bryson Barnes. He was Bryson's high school coach. And Bryson came off the bench, thrilled everybody through the touchdown pass to tie the Rose Bowl. A highly unusual story. We'll talk with Thane Marshall, Bryson's high school coach, coming up at 8 o'clock. And Ben Anderson goes to Jake and Ben, jazz writer for KSLsports.com, is going to join us to talk jazz at 9 o'clock right here on the Zone Sports Network. This is unright. Guys are doing a hell of a job. I just believe it can't be status quo for Utah because if it's status quo, USC, Oregon are going to go. They're going to blow by Utah in the next couple of years. Utah's got to get bolt. They got to get creative. They got to get outside the box. They got to get some big time recruits bigger than what they've been getting. That is unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran weekdays from three to seven on 97.5-1280 The Zone, powered by KSLSports.com. DJPK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Yeah, there's two things that really get under my skin. And what's that? Nobody has ever jumped out of the gym, and nobody has ever broken anybody's ankles on a basketball court. Those are the two things. Yeah. It's never happened. There's never been anybody who jumped out of the gym, and no one has ever broken anybody's ankles unless you're like... uh, uh, Tanya Harding's people and you go for the kneecap and you miss and hit the ankle yeah even that kneecap wasn't broken that was a contusion so stop saying that breaking ankles it never happened it never will happen it means a guy fell down it's an expression but it's wrong I want accurate expressions you know what I'm saying? If I say my back is up against the wall... <laughs> you literally had better be over at the edge of the room. He's a long way from the microphone, people. His back is against the wall. There. My back was up against the wall. It's time for the question of the day right now. Pac-12, 0-5 in bowl games. What can be done to improve the conference? The off-season goals... Making Pac-12 football better. Yeah, they have to be, man. 0-5. Oh, 
George Klyavkov, you should put in a request, y'all, because he's out there running around to a bunch of print dudes. He did the Los Angeles Times. He did the Hammer. Uh, they must have his phone number. He lives in Vegas. And so the Los Angeles Times had a big question and answer thing with him. I've got it right in front of me. We evaluated our non-conference performance and statistically are worse since 1983. Hey, thanks a whole hell of a lot, Utah. (laughs) (laughs) Since 83. Yeah. 83. Thanks a whole hell of a lot, BYU. For those five losses. Yeah. We got two major contributors, one for good, one for bad, right here in our community. On those two. And then he does make some excuses here. Uh, COVID had a significant effect on the field. Early in the season, we had some teams that played a couple of games in 20 months that were competing against teams that played full seasons the previous April. I don't care if Washington hadn't played in 10 years. You should be beating Big Sky teams at home. And that's what he must that's be referring to. That's an outrageous to. demand by you. That's the only thing I could think he's referring to when Montana got him 13-7. to well, that means there'll be built-in improvement next year because teams played 12 or 13 games this year. I don't care about that. And improving in the West, we're soft. He talks about the underlying youth and high school fo- football participation rates over the last decade, and they've dropped significantly in the West. Yeah, but most of the star players are still playing. They're the ones who are going to college. The guys who aren't playing are you don't know that. people who aren't going to you college just, anyway. You just made that up. You have no idea. That's a hypothesis. That's <laughs> <laughs> <So> a what? <laughs> That's a hypothesis. Your mind would explode if Gabriel hypotheses played basketball and broke ankles. <laughs> I always felt that when they were saying the football and the, and the concussion issue and the CTE and all that stuff. Is it? Yeah. And meanwhile, the poor in the South are going to continue to play and they're not going to care about any of that stuff because that's the way out. The reality is, and it's not me saying it, they're born into poverty conditions and they're most likely not born into two-parent households that are married and even around. Those are the statistics. We don't ever want to talk about that. We want to talk about everything else, but we don't want to talk about that. But those are the stats out there. And to think that they're not going to play football, yeah, it's not happening. And the Mountain West is recruiting in the West and getting kids who can win football games. So that's just not it. I'm going to have that discussion over there, but that isn't why the Pac-12 is losing games to the Mountain West, losing games to the Big Sky, and losing all the bowl games. He also talked about self-inflicted wounds from the media rights deal. And I appreciate what he says on that because he's absolutely right. The lack of distribution in the Pac-12 networks is just atrocious. And that's not a hypothesis. That's a fact. It's out there, and Yogi and his guys and ladies do great work. I can't say nobody sees it. But anytime with uh, Larry Scott, you'd bring it up. Yeah, but but in Spokane, Bob's Cable System, you can get it. You can get it right. Bob's Cable System, it's right there. It's on that. But if you have the NFL ticket and you have DirecTV, (laughs) you can't get it. And he would go on and on, uh, just like, oh, man. Stop. It's a disaster, at least with George. He's willing to acknowledge that this is a joke. 
I have 30 months left on those contracts, and I'm counting every hour. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading it right here. Yeah. The Pac-12 fans have my commitment that we're going to fix it. At the most, it's going to take 30 months. I'm hoping we can start fixing it sooner, although I inherited some extremely restrictive and tightly written contracts that make it difficult to make many improvements. But, yeah. So, I don't think the distribution is the biggest problem in the contracts. It's the money. Now, because of lack of distribution, you're getting less money in, so they're tied together. The two games that air on the Pac-12 most weeks usually involve the last-place team in each division. They're certainly the vast majority of the least attractive games in the conference. You've still got four of your six conference games most weeks are airing on ESPN and Fox. So is it a contributing factor? Yes. Yes, it is. But is that... Yeah, but I mean, you're talking about games. Why, why, why do you limit the games? If you can go on Saturday night and get the reviews, and then all week they talk about it, and they build it up, all their shows, it's all those other things. It's a factor. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's not just about games. It's they, they just want the buzz around it. There's no... That you, because ESPN is not talking about you. They can broadcast one game a week, and that's it. And they do it at 8.30 at night our time, and they talk about it, and they got some third-team announcing, fourth-team announcing. Nobody knows who those people are. Yeah. But when you get Herbie announcing it, it's a big, <laughs> big deal. And kids want things that are big, 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 big deals. They yeah, absolutely do. And that is largely how it works. ESPN does two games a week. and Yeah. One of them Saturday night at 8.30. Which isn't that bad on the West Coast because it's 7.30, so it's the primetime game. So when you're losing kids in the state of California, your teams are getting pretty good exposure there. Not getting exposure in the rest of the country, not getting the hype with the national media, that's true. But having one or two games primetime on the West Coast isn't the worst thing. Now, in the weeks that you have three games that late, that's the worst thing. Yeah, but I mean, when you're used to playing at 2 o'clock in the afternoon all those years, when SC, even in their Pete Carroll, when they had it going on, they weren't playing so many freaking night games. Uh, just in, in those schools, if somebody else is going to come in and poach your players, then you need to go to their places and poach, poach their, their players. players. And it's not happening because those places are not going to be on your time zone, they're going to be on later time zones because you it's can't, not going to help you recruit Texas and Florida. Yeah, unless you just go to Hawaii, and then so. But you're not even getting the best I mean, players out of Hawaii. Anymore. I mean, it's everything, everything that's in the mix, and perception becomes reality, and every we goes right to the Pac-12 network. It's over a decade, and it still hasn't been fixed. That's atrocious. That's embarrassing. And he's counting the hours. Right. Till he can fix it. That's what he said. It would seem like he can't mess it up anymore. Yeah. And I think, uh, to me, if you're going to point a number one thing, and I've never been a big number one thing because I think everything matters. Nothing is necessarily the ultimate, but everything is. And so you add it all together, and that's what you end up with. Uh, There is not this burning, overwhelming desire to compete at the highest level in football. And until there's that, you're just going to be running in place compared to the Alabamas of the world. Do you do a distinction between competing at the highest level and competing at a pretty good level? 
Because when you say competing at the highest level, are they trying to be Bama? And then there's competing at a pretty good level where, hey, let's make sure we win eight games and we're bowling because it's, it's two different things. One, they, they are not qualifying for the playoff. So it's not even so much about beating Alabama. It's about uh, qualifying for the four. playoff. Big deal. That's not <clears> it. <throat> who cares about qualifying the playoff? All the people who beat on the Pac-12 when they don't qualify for the and playoff. And so you get to the pl- get to the playoff and lose. That's not going to do you any good. It's about competing at the highest level. There's not a burning desire. They can make the playoff five years in a row, and if they lose like Cincinnati did five years in a row, they'll get hammered for that. That's not a solution. That's a band-aid to a bleeding body. That's all that is. It's competing at the highest level. It is paying people enormous amounts of money and be willing to overlook all this little level cheating. Well, Oregon's willing to do that. And USC, they must have made big commitments to probably coach out of Oklahoma. Not just paying him, but what they're going to pay the staff. Right. What the recruiting budget's going to look like. And he's won zero games at SC. We're talking about right now. We'll see what he can do. But yeah, that's a great start. He's a big name. See what happens there. But that's what it's got to be. It's got to be pay at the highest level. Win at all costs. I heard uh, Ray Anderson, and he's thought of to be a statesman in the the conference. He was considered for commissioner, and he's the Arizona State Athletic Director. And he loves to talk about the comprehensive. We want a comprehensive athletic program. Good. Good for you. Because the people in Tuscaloosa don't. They don't care. Nope. If they're the, playing the latest the sport, Czechoslovakian from women's tennis, nobody cares. To your point, if they play a sport, they want to play at the highest level. The SEC has the most money, and across the board, they largely play the fewest sports. They have the money to play other sports, and they don't. But the ones they play, well, they It's fun. about football. We're talking about football. We're not talking about the ones they play. We're talking about football. You have to have a win-at-all-cost mentality. And if you don't have that, it's not going to work. And so you have to create some NIL stuff. You've got to set it up. You've got to find whatever the line is that's legal and illegal and just cross it. <laughs> you have to. How has the SEC done it? They've found the line and they've crossed it. Yeah. So know what you can get away with. And set it up for these big-time boosters to be given some of these big five-star guys. Here's $100,000 right off the bat. Especially in in those communities where I already said they're coming from likely, not always, not all, even though that's all we read is he had to cross over 10 bodies to get to school every morning. That's not everybody. There are some middle class out there. And and if you are middle class and have been paying for your kid to get elite quarterback lessons at 100 bucks an hour since they were in junior high, you're going to be interested in that. You've invested a lot of money and you're going to want it back. And if you've been on travel teams... And you got coaches demanding, hey, play multiple sports. Kyle was just talking about that the other day, and he is certainly not alone in that. And you've been on travel teams in multiple sports. You're middle class. You're feeling the squeeze. So until they have a burning desire, we're just running in place. And you can occasionally get the upset and get a team in there, Washington and Oregon. They got in. Whoop-de-doo, they got in. And then, and then, our Oregon, I think, got to the final, but Washington got worked. So, if I remember correctly, maybe they didn't, but they lost. Uh, 
that that's what it's going to take because they're going to get in because they're going to expand the playoff. There's too much money. So getting in will take care of itself, but that's not going to be near good enough. Getting in, whoop de do. So what? Then it'll be about your record once you're in. I mean, Cincinnati got in. Getting in, if, if getting in is the goal, drop down in the Mountain West and go undefeated there, just like Cincinnati did, and play one big game and win it, and you're good to go. I, I, I don't see where getting in is the panacea. It's a big fancy word. Look at you go, you wordsmith. Yeah. When he talks like that, he breaks my ankles. There was a guy who... Uh, when I was in news in California, in Wilmington, he was a councilwoman's uh, chief of staff, and he said something about like government is not the panacea, and that became the big rallying cry in the community, and he just got roasted for it. <laughs> so I remembered it all these years later, panacea, and he used it, and he took tons of heat for saying it, because uh, basically saying, look at yourselves. Figure out ways to improve your own and stop complaining and expecting government to do something for you. But he didn't go, he was saying that without going all the way, but he used the word panacea and it became such a big deal that I'm sure he regretted saying it because he took so much grief for it. Got the question up on Facebook. What should be done? What can be done to improve the conference? Brent says, penalize players for opting out of bowl games. Otherwise, the value of most bowl games... Okay, you can't play college bowl games again if you opt out. (laughs) It's not not just about the 0-5 bowl games either. It's about the 0-5 record against BYU and the two losses to the Big Sky schools and five losses, I guess six now, to the Mountain West Conference. On down the line. Here's what Klavko says. For me, the biggest single issue is the ongoing effort investing in football. The work of convincing our presidents and chancellors is a very good return on investment when you invest in football was started by me before I started the job in my press conference when I was announced. And and that's it. You invest in football is what he's talking about, and that's the biggest difference. Facilities, coaches, and other football-related matters, and it leads to higher title recruits, and that leads to wins, and wins lead to direct and indirect revenue. It certainly leads to significantly increased alumni engagement. And it leads to historically increased applications, more selective process. So basically just one after another. The hip bones connected to the blah, 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 and so forth until you got the whole body. And that's what he's talking about. But that's not going to happen. Because we know the Pac-12, the research, and so we don't land grant, whatever the hell that is. We don't want that. I mean, come on. You got to be research institutions. I mean, I mean, we're, we're academic like-minded and blah, blah, blah. Look at us. Klevkov hasn't said any of that, has he? And I also have my tea with my pinky out. That was all the previous commissioner. But that's the president's. That's the mindset of the conference. It's not, it's not, wasn't made. Did that mindset change at all when they hired Klavkov? I mean, if he's saying this stuff now, did he say that stuff in his interview? Yeah, of course he did. He just said it, that he was talking about it before he got the job. So then their mindset's changing because they hired the the guy who said, enough of that, do this. I don't know. What's the process? Does it have to be unanimous? I mean, did it simple majority? So uh, they have seven and five don't care? 
Where we're that would work. Be. They need the bottom of the league. I don't, I don't know how that works. <laughs> Those five don't invest. Be the bye week that yeah, Alabama's I mean, getting just, but in the are SEC. You, if you're investing the best in the Pac-12, does that mean you're investing at an SEC level? No, not necessarily. I mean, Utah was, the, the fact is, good on the Utes, but they were the best team in a crappy conference this year. That's what it boiled down to. So who's going to pay like USC and Oregon? Well, I, 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 that's what I'm saying. I don't know that you, you, that's good enough. You have to pay like Alabama, not SC and Oregon. And in fact, you have to pay more because not, that's not good enough. You have to pay more than Alabama because you have disadvantages that they don't have. They have way more advantages than you do. There's, it's football is the number one thing, and there's tons of recruits. Oregon has to go all over. They do. There aren't very many recruits in Oregon. Yeah. So you just can't meet them. You have to exceed them. And Alabama already is going all over, even though there's tons of players in a. Well, they go wherever they want. Yeah, in a two, three, four hour, or whatever you want, circle around campus. There's tons of players, but. They get players out of California and Hawaii. Get them wherever they want. Wherever they're there, that's where they get them. And I'm sure they're getting... I mean, uh, Tagovailoa, man, all his parents, they move to Alabama. Well, if I had a kid and he was great in sports and he went to Michigan, can I just up and move to Michigan? Yeah. Where's my job? Where's my housing? Where's my health care? Somebody took care of them. <laughs> yes. Believes every single person in college football yeah. at every other school in Division One. Right. And probably Division Two too, but nobody's asking them. Division Two too? As in Desmond Tutu? As in Division Two also. May he rest? So you have to do you have to go to that level. You have to treat it. Screw the student athlete deal. Where's on the field uh, with uh, the media the other night at the end of the Rose Bowl, and one of the guys says, "Does the loser go first? And I said, "Watch your mouth. There is no way they're going to call them the loser." Yeah. The non-winning team. Yeah. And so, sure enough. Joining us first on the podium is the runner-up to the Rose Bowl. Oh, (laughs) runner-up. Okay. (laughs) Why don't they just say joining us first is Utah? (laughs) How complicated is that? Everybody knows what the final score is. Well, because they have to spin it, you know, and it's that's we're we're in a soft society. How about the loser? You lost. The losing team, if you don't want to say loser, but they can't do that. And the reason why I bring that up is the, the student-athletes. Hey, Gardale Jones didn't go to Ohio State to play school. <laughs> One of the best quotes. <laughs> right out of his own mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Gardale's telling the truth. Right. He, he was. <laughs> he How many was. of those kids at Ohio State are going there to play school? Doesn't mean you can't get a degree, but that's not their first priority. And it's not the first priority of the coaching staff. That's why they're all these menial majors. Not all of them, but a lot of them. To get them through as easy as possible to stay eligible so you can win games out on the field. And the alumni, they don't give a crap about that. You want to be pre-med? Well, good luck. That just means you ain't good enough to go to the NFL. So I don't want you anyway. 
I mean, there's a few exceptions, but that's what it's about. And that's what they got to do here. Don't bag, bag this idea of student-athlete spiel. We're getting there. No, we need to, but they're already there, over there, on the other side. That's why we just had the worst statistical non-conference season since 1983, because we're getting there. Yep. Meanwhile, they're there. I know. And they've been there. I'm aware. And they ain't going anywhere. So don't give me your little soft while we're, 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 they're getting there. <laughs> that ain't good enough. They're ain't getting there. Well, you can't say there. they're there because they're not there. So all that's left is they're getting there. Or, no, I want to know why believe- aren't they there and then crack heads for those who are in the way. Because that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a president and a chancellor and a board of trustees and whatnot who are determined we're going to do everything we possibly can. And if that means some shady stuff, so be it. Because the donors, they don't care. Nobody cares what uh, uh, Cam Rising's GPA is. Shady doesn't. Uh, shady doesn't really happen with name, image, and likeness, does it? Yeah, it's oh, made for it sure. all legal and above board. No, there's nothing that's all above board. There's nothing in the history of the world that's all above board. How naive are you? Jeez, oh, there's no longer there's no longer going to be shady stuff anymore. Here, line up. Get your trophy, junior high students. Here's a hundred. Everything is fair. Here's that's a, your world. Here's a hundred grand. Pose for some photos I can use in my company. Thanks, you're done. Great. Now I want 250 grand. That ain't good enough because he's getting 250 grand. This is 100 grand. With all the hanger honors, that goes like that. And you got to pay taxes on it, too. So it's not really 100 grand. 100 grand, that's chump change, my friend. And I call you my friend because I have to take care of you on matters like this. You just threw out a hundred grand earlier in the segment. Make it two fifty. Make it five hundred. Make that, it a million. That's the way it works. It, that's the number Nick threw out. Nick Saban threw that out for Alabama's quarterback. Good old a million Nick. Bucks. He was recruiting when he said it. Yeah. Well, that that's what it's about. There's no limits. Nobody puts limits on how much money you can make. If you can make more, come on. So the Utah and BYU booster is going to keep up with the California and Texas schools? No. But if they want to, they have to. (laughs) That's what it's going to take. If Utah wants to take a next step, I mean, they've been flirting near the playoff. Well, look at the formula. Play crap non-conference schedule. Go 3-0. I realize they didn't do it this year. But two years ago, before the pandemic, late in November, they were in. The go Utah, nobody wants to see for you Paul Feinbaum. Nobody wants to see Utah. And so beat lousy teams and then beat within your conference. I mean, they didn't beat anybody outside of the conference this year. Zero wins except for Weber, right? Right. So they had but no They lost to BYU, they lost San Diego State, yeah. and then they lost the bowl game to Ohio State. So that's not good enough. That can get you to the Pac twelve title game and then maybe get you to the Rose Bowl, but it ain't gonna get you beyond that. DJ and PK, your reaction coming up next at 8 o'clock where you're talking to Bryson Barnes High School coach Thane Marshall. Milford High joins us coming up in about 15 minutes right here on 1280 and 97.5 The Zone. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it.
Frank Dolce right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Looking ahead to next season, Tavian Thomas, let's just assume he's back. Cam Rising's back. You do lose one of the best defensive players that's ever played at the University of Utah, Devin Lloyd. But the scene does seem to be set for this team to be really good again next year, don't you think? This is a football team that has significantly fewer question marks heading into 2022 than they did in 2021. With that in mind, with what looks like a staff that should still be intact and with some terrific young players who really performed well this year, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the South, but I think it's still a conference and a division that Utah can dominate, especially this coming season. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Question of the morning, the Pac-12. Coming off an 0-5 bowl season. Coming off what George Klavkov says is statistically their worst season since 1983. Non-conference season. What can the commissioner and his friends at the 12 schools do to improve Pac-12 football? You brought up Alabama, and Chad says, Clemson is the model for Utah and other Pac-12 schools, not Alabama. Good. Then you'll play second fiddle to Alabama then. Not a bad place to be. Better than where you are right now. It is. Josh says, I'm not sure what the conference should do, but I'm sure glad BYU isn't joining the Pac-12. Laughing, crying emoji. I don't know what that means. Can't fix it, but it's a problem, and he's glad BYU is not going to be a part of it. Oh, they would take it in a heartbeat. Don't you kid yourself. At Utah Man BQ says, 0-5, don't you mean 0-6? BYU lost their bowl game to UAB. I don't mean 0-6. Making fun of BYU being Pac-12 champs. I'm not in the mood to make fun. This is a serious issue. It's no joking. SM at Fit38 says, they need to recruit better. Think they've just whiffed on guys? Yeah. Or they can't get the guys they want. Because they're going to Alabama and Ohio State and wherever else. They're not all going there. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau didn't go there. I'm pretty sure he could have played for Alabama. Gabe says the Pac-12 is not a good conference. Last time they won the title, last time they were relevant, 2004. And that was with a cheating USC team. Oh, cheating. I am so over that. Curtis says, you know, Aggie Nation takes a little pride in this question. Delivered one of the five losses. They did? Yeah. Yeah. They beat Washington State. They bookend Pac-12. First time they beat Power 5 teams, I think 2014. They beat two of them. Got Wazoo in the opener and Oregon State in the bowl game. Yeah. James says, the middle teams need to get better. I'm looking at you, ASU, Cal, Stanford, 
and the top teams need to get better, and the bottom teams need UCLA to get better. UCLA and Washington <laughs> State. <laughs> so, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Actually, that's been one of the problems, is the middle teams have pulled off upsets. ASU was a middle team when they took down Oregon. Oregon State taking down Utah. Out. Oregon State taking down Utah. Yeah. The middle team. Stanford taking down Oregon this year. I mean, it's, you don't need to go back two years. That's old news. Once SC is elite again, it will help the conference, James says. The conference needs USC to be USC. Yeah, but see, can it be USC consistently with the way things are now? Since they've gone to the Pac-12, has it been? No. One conference title since then. And... It was it just Pete Carroll? He was the only guy who could do it, and the other guys were all dog meat? <laughs> Kiffin did a pretty good job there at, uh, uh, where was he, Ole Miss this year? And the, 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 how many had he had? 10, 11 wins? First time in school history? They couldn't do it over there. So I think that's what we're, we're looking at SC. And we're going back all those decades. But we're not putting SC where it is now. We're putting them where they were back then, when they can play their games whenever and basically do whatever they want. And they had all the exposure that they possibly needed. Well, now that's not the case. Now they're assigned when you're going to play. And so we're, we're acting as if SC then is now. And nothing has changed except a coach. Well, we'll find out. But everything has changed since then. And Alabama wasn't stealing players, and Clemson wasn't stealing players. And they are now, because both of the quarterbacks at both schools are from California. How much was the Pac-12 in front of everybody because they figured out to throw the ball first and got good at it first? Yeah, but it was the Pac-10. Yeah. So everything has changed dramatically. And I've been saying this for weeks as I looked at Ohio State. Used to be those guys handed off. Yep. AJ McCarron's of the world. Well, now they're, and, and John Parker Wilson, who was the quarterback, or is it Wilson Parker, or is it Parker Wilson John? I don't know. But he was the guy who was the quarterback when you beat the Sugar Bowl team. He ain't a quarterback now. John Wilson Parker, Wilson John Parker, now Wilson a- Parker John. He's not getting anywhere near the quarterback now. Now it's an NFL guy. Yeah. They all have NFL, and that edge that the Pac-10 used to have, it's long gone. So Pete Carroll in SC, yeah, we just look at it, but if he came back today, it would be a drastically different job than when he had it back then. No offense to Wilson Parker John. And back then they kept Reggie Bush at home. Would they keep Reggie Bush at home now? Willie John was a hell of a quarterback for Alabama in his day, but they've upped their ante. Now they're going to get top guys, Heisman Trophy winners. It took me a while to figure out Willie John, but I got that. It's <laughs> like, what is he talking about? Oh. John Parker Wilson. John Wilson Parker. Wilson John Parker. Yes. Willie John. <laughs> right. That's who they, they, they played against when, they were, uh, when the Utes played them. It'd be like fourth team now. What they need to do, as far as the coaches... Just get whoever has been fired and Nick Saban gets on his staff to rejuvenate, then hire that guy. Yeah, the Nick Saban School of Coaching. Yeah, yeah, right. 
But if you don't have the money and you don't have the facilities, you can bring in a coach from a Texas A&M and, and he can fail spectacularly. Then build them. Whatever it might be. Open up the checkbook. We're in to win at the highest level. And until you do that, you're not going to win at the highest level. DJ and PK, Thane Marshall, Milford High School football coach, Bryson Barnes, high school coach. Bryson threw the game-time touchdown in the Rose Bowl. How did that happen? We'll talk with Thane next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's time to welcome in Thane Marshall, Milford High School football coach, Bryson Barnes, high school coach. Coach, good morning. Morning. How are you? We're doing well. We wanted to have you on because it, there were a lot of great stories of the Rose Bowl, but one of them was the walk-on coming on and throwing the game-tying touchdown pass and blowing everybody's mind. I think expectations were pretty low. And I'm curious, where were you? What were you thinking as all of this played out? Did you go to the game? You're sitting home watching on TV? Well, set it up for us. Well, uh, my son, who's my offensive coordinator, and I were both sitting in my living room. And uh, we were we were pretty pretty excited when he got to go in and and you know everybody else's expectations might have been pretty low but when he went in the first series we're like let him throw the ball he can do it he can do it we we knew once you know once he got in there you could see it in his face on tv that there was no pressure at all on the kid he's 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 worked his whole life for this we were surprised that he went in because he was not listed as the backup and we don't get to see practice anymore were you surprised no, because we stay in pretty well in, in, in contact with him, and and we kind of knew that he was taking kind of the he he was right with Cam all the time, and and him and Cam I guess are pretty good buddies, and uh, Cam's tutored him pretty well, and I'll tell you one thing about Bryson that a lot of people doesn't don't know about the kid is I would bet my ranch that he probably put him in more uh, study than than anybody on the team. That, that's just the way the kid is. He he was probably more prepared than than any 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 player on that football team that stepped out on that that field. So that's I was just, just the way re- he was. I was just reading a story about how expensive it is to raise an elite quarterback, and they went into all the people in Southern California who are, and, and there's more than a half dozen. Uh, the people down there who are providing tutoring. And they're all working with lots of kids. And it went into how, uh, how expensive it was, how that priced a lot of people out. And, and it went into families that didn't live in the area and had a problem. There was a, there was a family in Vegas. And how, did they, how are they going to get elite coaching and all that? How does an elite quarterback grow up in a, in a community that's got 1A high school football? What what makes him this good? Where does he where does he get all this? He he went to a lot of the quarterback elite camps, but but my son was the quarterback at SUU and he played for Coach Aaron Roderick uh, was his coordinator, and I think it, I might I might be wrong, but I think Coach Sataki was there. They, he was there during the, the Coach Gary Anderson time, and and. He, my the, my offense coordinator Wes Marshall is is also a study you know of the game a student of the game and and they worked hand in hand with each other. Uh, my son worked at the jail here in Beaver and yeah, at the time he's now a school teacher in Milford. But but he he would be working 
the graveyard shift, and him and him and Bryson would be on the phone, and 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 they talked football continually, and they they had watched film that 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 both be on their computers side by side, and you know they're not hardly any one A schools run the air raid system, but but we do, and Bryson stepped in uh, the second game of his freshman year, and. He went forty-three and five as a starter at Milford High School, and, and so I mean that's that's pretty phenomenal for the smallest school in the state of Utah that plays football. What's his story as to how he ended up at Utah? Do you know? Well, he, you know, <laughs> the problem was is we couldn't get him recruited because we were one A football. That's what everybody kept saying. So his senior year, I went out and beat up the schedule. He, he, we went out and beat Ogden. Come to our place, we beat them. They were a 4A school, we're a 1A school. And uh, we beat South Summit, which was the two-time defending state champion that year. And Bryson just, him and uh, Coach Scally, I believe, was the one that recruited him. And, and he'd go, uh, he went on visits up there. And and uh, he really fell in love with the school. And, and they they offered him a preferred walk-on, and he turned down a couple of scholarships to, to live out his dream to play at University of Utah. Where were the scholarship offers? Uh, SU come in late, you know, and uh, that they we, we'd been toting them since because we're all alumnus of, of SU, SUU, and, and he, uh, you know, and we started toting him as an eighth grader to them, and they come in like December of after his senior year to offer him a scholarship and we're like you know sorry and and they kind of got mad that he went to university on a walk-on and turned down their scholarship but look who threw a touchdown pass in rose bowl that'd be bryson barnes (laughs) (laughs) so the story has like become legendary uh raising twelve thousand pigs now i'm a city guy what does that mean when you're raising twelve thousand pigs what's that about well, we're, we're the largest, I, I believe we're the largest hog, we got the largest hog farm. I know we do in the United States, and it might be in the world, right here in our backyard. And that's, that's actually helped my program because it's been able, to, the young kids have been able to stay home and, and get a job here and raise their kids. So so it's actually put a few more kids in our program. And uh, But yeah, Bryson and his little brothers, and they, they get up and, and if they don't have school there, they're at the pig barn with their mom, and their dad's a railroader, and he helps out at the farm. But but basically, it's their mom running the pig barn, and, and it's a nursery, so they have little baby pigs in there. They get to a certain certain uh, age, and then they put them into a finisher barn. But uh, yeah, it's a great big barn, and they walk along. And I've I've never been in one myself, but but uh, it's it's pretty phenomenal of what they do, and it, they they work hard. So I was in uh, I was in 4H in San Diego, <laughs> and uh, I don't I don't have any experience raising pigs, sheep, uh, and a little bit with dairy cattle. But that's a long story. This has gotten so corporate. I wasn't aware that kids would be working at a pig farm because now they're massive. This isn't people with you know mm-hmm. twenty animals in their backyard anymore. Right. So oh, yeah. so he's yeah. actually in the barn with the 12,000 pigs grinding away. I mean, I, I can't believe they're still feeding them, you know, with buckets of feed or whatever. I no, thought all it, that had moved along. What What is he really doing? It's, it's all automatic. The, yeah. the, they have conveyors that go in and feed them all. And and I'm not sure on the nurseries how they, 
they have to go in and and see if there's any sick pigs or stuff like that and vaccinate them and and, and things like that. They're it's they're they're like there four or five six hours a day and walking in and out and making sure all the all the mechanical parts are working and everything like that. So it's it's pretty amazing. How many kids do you have on your football team? We have anywhere from thirty to thirty five every year. And that's enough. It, it's kind of yeah. We you know as long as we can have twenty two. You know <laughs> I'm I'm an old school football coach. We we scrimmage to the ground forty five minutes at least a day. Most of the time it's an hour. I mean I don't know how you teach a high school kid how to hit if you don't hit in practice. So amen. Just you know it's just the way it is. Thane Marshall joining us, Milford High School football coach. He coached Bryson Barnes in high school. And you're going to be you're going to be completely biased when I ask this question, but I still want your perspective. You obviously were rallying around him to get him into a college program, and he gets there, and he throws the Rose Bowl touchdown, which is awesome. How many kids at your school and how many kids across 1A high schools could get into a college program if people saw them and – Took, and I guess if, if college coaches had the time to see them and take them seriously and really know who they are, you know, there's 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 not a whole lot. There's not like you get up in the four A, five A, and six A classifications, and you don't have twenty. You know, you don't have eleven D one players on your team. But but every once in a while, we'll, we will get one or two that can actually go to the D one level. And we have a lot that I think that can play at the at the subdivisions, you know. But but you, you only get. I'll be right honest with you. Bryson has has worked harder than anybody, any player that I have ever coached in 31 years, and and he has has self made himself into where he's at. I mean, he. I was talking to one of his elementary teachers yesterday, and and he said when they went out to PE, the only game that that Bryson ever lost and. MPE was the one where the teacher played quarterback and then he cheated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and, and, and he was serious. And I got to tell you a story about when Bryson was eighth grade, he was one of my managers on my football team. And, and I had an old school defensive coordinator in there and he knows football. He's coached at the junior college level and, and, and in Southern California and stuff. And he was drawing this defense up for our offense coordinator. And he said, what do you think about this? And Bryson said, well, if you did that, I'd, I'd throw the ball right here. And the guy said, well, then I'd run this coverage. And Bryson said, well, then I'd throw it there. And the, the defense coordinator turned around and looked at him and he said, who the heck is this kid? And I said, well, he's all right. He's an eighth grader. He'll be our starting quarterback next year. And he said, get him out of my meeting. He actually <laughs> kicked him out of the meeting because he couldn't design a defense to stop the kid. Nice. And that's, that's an eighth grader. So obviously it's such a small town. You probably have intense relationships with a lot of the kids that you coach as you're watching that game and he throws the touchdown pass, was your reaction that of pretty much like he's your own son? Oh, yeah. You know, the sad part about it is is, is, is I'm surprised I've done this whole thing without crying because I'm still full of pride and, and the tears just every time somebody posts something, an article here or an article there, you know, my son and I reached up and we high-fived each other just like in in, in I jumped up and, and we had one of my uh, my son-in-law's friends from Germany was here and he thought we were all crazy. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> and we watched the next game and he turned to my wife and he says, 
you know, this game's not near as exciting as the last game. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we raised the roof off our, our house here in the, out in the country. And, you know, I, I think the whole county of Beaver County was, was the same way. I mean, he's, he's a very well-liked young man. I mean, he's, he's a great football player, but he's even a, a greater person off the field. You know, there have been plenty of fans wondering what could have been done differently to win the game. You know, should they have gone for two? Should Kyle have used timeouts? Should they have onsides the kick or maybe let him score to get the ball back? And there's plenty of people wondering about, well, what about the third quarter? If they'd scored there, maybe then it would have been different down the stretch. And I'm thinking that you think they probably should have just thrown the ball on second and 17 his first snap. Because he came in on second right. and 17, they ran it twice and punted, and it was the next drive when he really started to look good. So they should have just taken Ohio State, just shocked him by coming in and throwing on one of those first two, <laughs> first two plays. That's what you would have done? Well, who am I to, to uh, question Coach Whittingham and Coach Ludwig? But, you know, I, I would have my, – my deal either on second down or third down, I would have let the kid pull the ball and run around the end and maybe not throw it that early, but, but at least – because everybody knew that they were going to Thomas. And I would have – and the kid showed – I mean, Bryson's got great legs. He led us on a drive when he was a, a senior. We were we were down one point and, uh, against Millard in the semifinals with a minute 12 to go with no timeouts. And we had the ball on the eight-yard line, our, our own eight-yard line. We had to go 92 yards. And he did most of it on his, with his legs. And scored with nine seconds to go through the same through the same pass as he threw the other night in the Rose Bowl. Well, he did let him pull it once, and uh, and he ran for a big first down. So maybe yeah. maybe yeah. you're onto something. So you well, know that's that, that he he we ran the spread offense, and he probably had I think he was our second leading rusher every year. So I mean he he's very capable of it. Well, thank you. Congratulations on uh, all the success down there at Milford. You've won a lot of games down there, and uh, you've had some pretty good teams, and, and now you've had a Rose Bowl moment on top of it. So congratulations, <laughs> and thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Thank you for the opportunity. It's great. You know, I, I, it's, it's always great to be able to talk about one of your favorite kids. Dane Marshall, Milford High School football coach, Coach Bryson Barnes, and, uh, and got the Rose Bowl moment, all the excitement. Yeah, I would expect uh, here in the next couple hours to see Rising put his name in the transfer portal. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) That's what we love about sports. This kid out of nowhere and all that stuff. And the pig farm, he's become legendary in the last 48 hours or so, 72 hours. And and it's just fun. I mean, count me out. But I'm going to count myself out. And I'm going to do whatever I can. And that's obviously he was a, a prodigy at that level. Nobody had any idea. Certainly I didn't. I didn't even know he was going to come in. Uh, and that was a surprise to me. And then to, to have him have success is just it's an, it's an incredible story. And who doesn't like every, every one of us likes incredible stories. Let's see what happens going forward here, too. You know, it's one of the reasons why maybe I don't know this, but that big hot shot out of Southern California left. Figuring out, I can't beat this kid out. My um, wife's exact question to me when he came into that game, because they said he's from Milford, Utah. I was like, where's Milford, Utah? <laughs> I said, go to Beaver, drive west. Yeah, and many times I've gone to Beaver and driven west. You have not. I've been through that town. I told you that one, one time. It was uh, the I-15 that was in uh, Cedar. 
and the the rain was coming. I mean, you could see the the, the water That's when they had was the, coming they, down. They had the flash floods. Yeah, and you could yeah. see it. It was coming down on the highway, and I was on I-15, and I had to go across. I had to make a decision in instant to cross the median, get over, get out, and then they wouldn't let you back. We, we waited for like 45 minutes and couldn't get back on I-15, so we went from Cedar someplace west, and we <laughs> ended up going through this town, and then we caught I-15 uh, a little bit north of Beaver as you're first coming in. So I did drive through that place that one time. It was, uh, I think it was. It was in the spring, maybe, maybe summer, uh, when they had that that flood come I down. I it was in the spring, because yeah. I remember you coming up back and saying, hey, look at this. Yeah, it was, it was outrageous to see that. Obviously, this water come running, and you see where it's going. It's going to go right on the freeway where you are, and who knows what's going to happen then. So we got out of there, and to go through that community, you got a taste for just how small it is. And it's a phenomenal story, man. We all love that story. And this is one of the more phenomenal ones. And then he had success. I don't blame Ludwig for basically taking the air out of the ball. That was the right thing to do at the time. Because you don't know. You can see what he can do in practice and whatnot, but he's never played. But you played don't know in, about nerves in a game. Yeah, he's never you played just, in anything that's mattered. He'd been in two games in the regular season, but it was mop-up duty, obviously. Yeah. And then One of them had been Weber. Yeah, 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 it was. It was. Yeah. And to see what he can do in that situation. Yeah, I think Weber and then the uh, it was the first game and the last game, Colorado. And he, he did some stuff there a little bit. Then <clears throat> to have him have this opportunity, maybe he could have. And it's too bad that it couldn't have gone into overtime. Because then obviously you're gonna you at that point you're playing to win the game. And what could he have done? It was this close away from being it was an incredible story, but this close away from being even more incredible. And 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 the players lift him off the Put him on his shoulders, and the crowd chants, "Bryson, Bryson, yeah, I Bryson." Got it. I got it. <laughs> Rudy, you've seen the movie, people. You'll recall the scene. Hit it up on YouTube. <laughs> and they they flash to his father. This is the greatest sight these eyes have ever seen. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. For a guy who doesn't like the movies, you can quote him. Well, it's Rudy. <laughs> it is Rudy. You got me there. <laughs> Everybody knows Rudy. <laughs> All right, DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Jazz win in New Orleans. We're talking with Ben Anderson coming up at 9 o'clock. The Pac-12 commissioner is throwing down the gauntlet. He's going public. Feel like he's challenging the university presidents and ADs here? Don't I, put it all on me in the conference office. Yeah. I'm going to do my part. I know what my part is. The media deal's got to change. You know what? It seems to me that he was commissioned to do this. It's, this reminds me of Bronco Mendenhall. They told him, we can't have any of this other stuff that we had, and this is a mockery of our religion, and it reflects poorly, so we need to put this out there. And then Bronco decides to be a preacher in addition to a football coach. I know he took a lot of heat, but that's what he was but charged you know where to it, do. you know where it came from. You can yeah, trace yeah, it yeah, back. Yes. We'll get yes. into that next. DJ and PK. Because a lot of things you demanded in the 7 o'clock hour, I think those conversations have already happened. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. 
Frank Dolce right here on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Looking ahead to next season, Tavian Thomas, let's just assume he's back. Cam Rising's back. You do lose one of the best defensive players that's ever played at the University of Utah, Devin Lloyd. But the scene does seem to be set for this team to be really good again next year, don't you think? This is a football team that has significantly fewer question marks heading into 2022 than they did in 2021. With that in mind, with what looks like a staff that should still be intact and with some terrific young players who really performed well this year, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the South, but I think it's still a conference and a division that Utah can dominate, especially this coming season. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Purchase a Ford fan zone all you can eat ticket to an upcoming jazz game and receive unlimited hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and ice cream. Starting as low as $30 per ticket. Visit utahjazz.com or call 325-2999 to buy your Ford fan zone all you can eat tickets now. Ben Anderson, co-host of Jake and Ben, coming up at 9 o'clock, talk jazz basketball with us. George Klavkov, the new commissioner of the Pac-12, has given some interviews here. You think he's on a little media tour, PK? This is... uh. I think Too he has made friends with media and has given him them their number, his number, and said, call me. And the end of the bowl season, the end of the Rose Bowl is a natural time for all these uh, people to start looking ahead to next year. And how is the Pac-12 going to up its game so they don't lose two games to the big sky and go 5-5 five and five against the Mountain West in a regular season and go 0-5 against BYU and get swept in five bowl games? I saw him on the Utah sideline, gave him some bones, said a what up, dog. Did not. You did not say what up, dog, to the commissioner. He didn't hear me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, he didn't know who I am. I'm not a big shot. In this not game. yet. I'm nobody. And, but I saw him there, and it, it was funny because everybody on the sideline was basically um, resolved of the fact that Utah was going to lose the game. Because we all knew there was plenty of time for them to go down and get a field goal. If it was a touchdown, it might have been another story. So he was there, and I saw family of Whittingham's just have anguishing looks on their face because they knew what was going to happen. Because he he outfits his brothers and son and all that, and they're all there, and every one of them goes to all these games, and most of them be on the sideline or at the end uh, they'll come down, and you knew what was going to happen, but. Yeah, so then he, Klavkov must have told these guys he's available because these these writers, they've been getting at, at with him. And I give him credit, man. He's addressing the issues head on. There's no point in ducking them like Larry did and try to make everything sound so great. Nobody cares what your rowing team does. Sorry. Don't tell me you've got a comprehensive athletic conference. It, it doesn't You're going to have the money to fund a rowing team. You better have a full football stadium on Saturday. And there's going to be a full football stadium on Saturday if your team wins more than it loses. If it loses more than it wins, then you're going to have empty stadiums. And Cal and Stanford and UCLA, Arizona have all been really empty. And the fact is the Pac-12 is an afterthought. And I don't take any pleasure in saying it by any stretch. But i got to speak the truth as I see it. I mean, it's all – you turn on any program – like this morning, I'm driving in, and of course they're talking about Georgia and Alabama. I've been listening to the national shows here for three days, nothing about the Rose Bowl, because I got the satellite. You know, and you turn on the NBA radio, and they're just breaking down the Wizards. 
Josiah Sola went to Maryland for college, and he's a New York guy. And they're just breaking down the Wizards game, and Kuzma scoring 36. I mean, I get where Hayward was coming from, wanting to get the starlight, because it was hard to get it here, and it still is hard to get it here, because you go on these shows, and that's what they, that's what they talk about. The Wizards, were they a 500 team? Who cares about the Wizards? Forever. Yeah. But that's, that's the way it is. And so we're way out here now, and it is the gravitational pull towards the southeast is so freaking strong that you've got to go in there and see, okay, what did they do to get to this point? And you got to copy it. And that's just open up checkbooks and just make winning the highest priority. Football winning. And it's great that you have a strong women's basketball program. That's outstanding. But it doesn't matter near as much. And let, let's face it. We're not slighting them by saying it. We're just saying this matters way more. And in that portion of the country, it matters way more. And until it matters way more, it's not going to be what, it want, what you want it to be. Having an opportunity to travel to these places, growing up, in, I grew up in the Northeast in the first part of my life, and college football is not much there. Consequently, they don't really have any good teams Rutgers, there. BC, <laughs> UConn, and UMass now, but not then. So it's Notre Dame. Yeah, and it was Penn State and Notre Dame. Uh, and that was pretty much it. And then, you know, I grew up in Pac-10 country, and then in this job here, working for the Watchdog all those years and in this job now, I've been to a lot of these places. And for me, Mr. Cynical, it was eye-opening. It was literally eye-opening to see Utah State go to Louisiana to play LSU and talking to, uh, on a Friday, I went to Utah State's, had a little practice. And so, you know, they would... McDenny was as as easy to cover as possible. They needed the coverage, right? So I could just walk right in and, and, and view it. And you didn't have any problem. Hey, with Mick, that. how's it going? Yeah, Good, well, PJ. I mean, I didn't go up to him down the field. <laughs> no, but, but after <laughs> practice, you'd... right? But I yeah. I was able to just walk in the stadium when they're right. having their walkthrough, and and I'm talking to a uh, campus policeman, and off to the side in the fields there, you could see all these uh, RVs. And I'm, I, I remember, and we're going back because it was uh, three days before 9-11. And he's telling me, well, you should see it if it's a conference game. They're here on Wednesday. People are driving in from all <laughs> over the state. Yes. Probably means alumni are driving in from Mississippi, Arkansas, and Texas. And it's sure. it's cheaper than a hotel. Yeah. And you want to do it six times a year. Probably more, but uh, for the home games. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and it's just off the charts. This is Utah State. And the game is they're going to play it. It's going to be starting at like four, five, six o'clock somewhere late afternoon, really early evening. Right, the sun it was three days before nine eleven, so the sun is still up. And I remember thinking, "Oh man, I'm going to have to leave way early." So I leave two hours early, and it's only my hotel is not more than two miles, and there's no traffic. No traffic because they're already there, and they've been there for. Hours and it was raining, and I'm going down the main drag, and you could see not the RVs, just the 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 people who are tailgating with their big screen TVs. There were thousands of them, and they're already there, and they'd been there for hours. 
And then one other time, I go to cover Utah basketball, and they're playing Kentucky in the NIT where you'd have these games, and then the winners would advance to New York. Oh, and Majerus was steamed because they, uh, they tricked him. He was supposed to get two home games, and they gave him Kentucky as a road game in order to get there. And it was the Friday before Kentucky, Tennessee, when Tennessee was all that. And I'm staying at the hotel. I was the only one not decked out in full orange regalia. <laughs> I was smoking, but I was the only one. They took over the hotel, and it was all night. And it, the entire hotel was me and the orange. It was unbelievable to me. Those are just two examples. I've been and to many other places. Those are season games. The yeah, Utes, yeah, yeah. The Utes just rallied for the Rose Bowl in SEC style, but it was the Rose Bowl that got them doing it. Yeah. It wasn't a regular season game. No. They got the passion to that level. Yeah, I don't think Kentucky, they've since been pretty good. They've upped the level of their program. But back then, they weren't very good. They're, they're actually up at a, like an all-time high right now. Yeah. What they're doing now, I think they haven't done since Bear Bryant was there. And, and good for them. But that's the level of commitment and passion. And until you have that, you're not going to have the results. And I think that's what Kliakov's message is. Guys, Invest in this as much as you can. Because he uses the phrase, the return on investment. And it's widespread, too. I don't know that you can even tangibly identify all the areas that it can improve your university. And that's what he's, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get a mindset of the chancellors and presidents to... Football is a PR vehicle for the university. And it's the biggest thing you've got. And you've got to win... At the highest level. And, man, I have been preaching for years on Arizona kids leaving because it's it's an epidemic. They leave in droves. Absolutely. It's a shock if either school gets a premier player in the state. It is not happening whatsoever. And now Klyovkov is picking it up on California. But you know I've been hammering this for 15, 20 years. True story. Yeah. And now it's per- now it's in California. Well, now it's a story. <laughs> yeah, it's it's actually happening. We looked it up. We were doing a show on this probably a year ago now, and it's happening in every state because we were talking about it because it's happening in Utah. And the Pac-12, the the schools in whatever state you're in, with the exception of Oregon, are not keeping the best in-state kids. Now, maybe, we've got a very small sample size, maybe Lincoln Riley is starting to change that because he did flip some elite kids in the couple weeks he was on the job before signing day. Okay. there's still a lot of top kids leaving the state. Yeah. And it's a massive state, so you're going to have some. Uh, But the problem is when they go, you know, if they went to Oklahoma State, that'd be one thing, but they're going to Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State... I mean, literally. Literally, the quarterbacks are from the Southern California area. Right there. 45 minutes, hour away. And those two big programs can't keep them at home. And we'll see. We'll see what Lincoln Riley can do. But I don't... See, even if they do it, I just don't know that it could match the level You've got Nick Saban complaining because the sold-out crowd is leaving in the third quarter. That's not happening in the Rose Bowl and Coliseum. 
You're you're going out there and kissing them because they're showing up. Leave whenever you want. <laughs> but please come. Yeah. So they're not even getting in. And that's why you have Shroud. You can go look it up. He said it last week. It's kind of boring to go to those games. It's not boring to go to a Ohio State game. It's not boring to live in Columbus. You are a big man at all times. The Rose Bowl has been partly empty for a long time, but it has been overwhelmingly empty for the last three seasons. Overwhelmingly empty. I don't think there were 20,000 people at the, when San Diego State beat UCLA before the pandemic in the Rose Bowl. I don't think there were 20,000 people there that day. And the fact is, I've been in the Rose Bowl when there's 45,000 there, and it had no, what, what Stroud was talking about, it had no energy. It was dead. With 45,000, it's, it's a huge place. I was there when there were 67,000 for Utah-UCLA. That was pretty good. It wasn't great, but it was a pretty good environment. It wouldn't compare to the horseshoe being full at Ohio State. But it was still a pretty good environment. But every time there's another 20,000 fans, you feel a lot of energy go out of the building. Now this year, a little bit, you start to see it pick back up. It's a long way from where it needs to be. Stanford's a long way from where it needs to be. Cal is a long way from where it needs to be. They're never going to get there. Washington is a long way from where it needs to be. That has a shot to get there. Arizona's a long way from where it needs to be. That's never going to get there. It's never going to get back to 50,000? And we saw BYU and Utah go down there, and it looked like there were forty five or 50,000 people there. Now you go down there, and it looks like there's fifteen or 20. They announce a bigger number, but butts and seats looks much smaller. Well, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be that They've emphasis. been way down. I mean, they've been way down. And so just getting back to six wins would be a step for them. It's not a, an economically, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not a lot of money in that community. And uh, snowbirds who go to the basketball games, are they in town yet? Probably not. Everybody loves a winner, so that's what yeah. they latched on to U of A basketball. Right. And they're there then. Yeah. To your point. If, you're, if you've got uh, two condos and you're bouncing back and forth as a snowbird, you're not doing Tucson in September. If they win at a high level, I think it can be done certainly in Oregon, in Salt Lake, in Tempe. The Rose Bowl, Seattle, that's about it. So USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, Utah, and ASU have possibilities. If you win. Those six. If you win but at a high, high level, yes. But once you lose, they're out. Or you become mediocre, you which got, is all the devils have been for you years. you got no hope for Washington State, Oregon State, and Arizona. And really not for Stanford, Cal, and Colorado either. Those are the six you left out. Well, I mean, Pullman just doesn't have that many people. people. Their stadium's like 30,000. Right. So, right. You, yeah, I mean, even if you f- fill it, it's still yeah. way Corvallis small. Corvallis is battling some of the same stuff. Yeah. It's a long way from Portland. Yeah. And they're, 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 re, they're re, uh, redoing it now, as I understand. But it's a smaller community. So would obviously. they ever win at the level... Because LSU and Florida are in smaller communities, but it's like you said, they, uh, people driving in from all over the place. They're filling massive stadiums. Well, yeah, I mean, if they win at the highest level, then yeah, any anybody, you'll have a, a waiting list if you win at the highest level, sure. But they kind of sort of go hand in hand, and I don't see them getting there. 
I mean, I, I don't see most of the six programs that I said could do it getting there. But at least they have some... At some point, they've been there, and there seems to be some hope they can Yeah, do there it was again. a time when the Sun Devil Stadium was 72,000. Now, that time is long gone. And there's four pro teams there, and that's but a it huge was, factor. It was there. I was there. I saw it. Uh, can it come back? Probably not. Uh, it's not going to happen under Herm. They're just they're they're spinning their wheels. They're five years away from contending in the South. Minimum, minimum. So it's not going to happen. It's not happening under Herm. They can win seven, eight games under Herm. Great, but the ten wins and the uh, win in the division not happening. I don't see it. All eyes are on Lincoln Riley right now. Uh, Lincoln Riley, sure, yeah. But, you know, Oregon's got so much money, and they made a coaching change. Washington has had their time. And, you know, what do they got going there? What they brought up the Fresno guy, right? Yeah. And, you know, what, what I, you know, he's not a big name to me, but I don't care about that. What can he do? You, know, you have an opportunity to make your name big. So I'm not going to put restrictions on him. New guys who start out. Let's see what they can do. A guy like Herm Edwards, he's been there for four years. I've seen what you can do. Not much. You'll be okay. Just like everybody else over there was okay, but nothing more. You know, what can Fish do? Maybe Fish can get it going on. You know, you can't really uh, criticize him for what he did last year. Yeah, I mean, they sucked. They well, he's no a new guy, and he needs a start, and yeah. he needs time. And they had They're a great a recruiting class, away. so maybe maybe he can build it, and maybe he can build a University of Utah-like atmosphere in Tucson. Maybe he can, because they're two hours away from all these pro teams, and it's the U of A and nothing else. And they started making some noise. They got two big receivers that just committed. Big receivers they got committed. One's a UTEP graduate transfer. Yeah, and they just got a four-star grad transfer out of Michigan to play linebacker. Yep. So they'll be better, and maybe he can do it. Lute Olson did it in hoops. Who's to say he can't? Let's see what he can do. Give him, we'll know in three or four years what you got going. We don't know now, but it's not fair to evaluate him now. It's ridiculous to evaluate him now. He was taking it over after it had been torn down to the ground. So Lowest ever, yeah. He'll have to build it back up. Got to get to the middle before you can get to the top. Yeah, and I, I, think, they'll, I think they have an opportunity uh, to shoot for six wins next year. If not this year, then next year. But, you know, you're talking about six wins. You're not talking about uh, making a run at a playoff. Uh, so it has to be... A, a conference-wide commitment. And I think that's what George, as the commissioner, is trying to do. I'll get you a better media deal when it's up. In the meantime, you have to build facilities, raise money, hire good coaches. And you've got to come up with NIL deals because it's clear everybody else is. The money is going to flow. And if you have been paying to send your kids to camps, put them on travel teams, put them in seven and seven leagues, whatever it is, you're going to want some of that money back. I think that's the immediate way to go, is to get these deals, to set these high sh- hop sh- hot shot kids up with as much money as they can make. It sounds dirty, but that's the world in which we live. The 18-year-old 
justifiably has his hand out. His parents have their hands out. And they've already had their hands out. It's not like it's been, this is a new day. It's just a new day that it can be above board more and they can get more. But their hands have been out for years and years and they've been receiving stuff for years and years. But now we we knew a coach told us hotshot recruit to get an uh, in-house visit, 25 grand. That was to get a yeah. visit. That wasn't yeah. to get him. Like, if you're going to come over to our house and tell the world we're a finalist, yeah. we're in the elite group that did a home visit, twenty-five grand. Right. Now it's going to be way more than that. And good on these young fellows. If they've got this talent, cash in because the coaches, you know, this coach here makes over $5 million, and I'm sure he got a bunch of bonuses that uh, equal or probably, well, not equal, but probably quadruple times 100, my salary. <laughs> and good for him. But coaches routinely get 25, 50, 100 grand for being bill eligible, winning a division, winning a conference, going to a Rose Bowl, going to a playoff. And Kyle would have... Go, going to a bowl game. Kyle would have... Yeah, going to a bowl game. You're right. Uh, Kyle would have hit almost all of those, obviously not the playoff. And then you get money if they go to class. I go to class, you get money. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you kids are going to go to class. <laughs> it ought to be, where's my money? I'm going to class. Okay, so Steve Berkowitz, who covers this for USA Today, I just looked this up. College football head coaches at FBS public schools have now picked up over uh, just under $13 million in bonuses this season. Yeah, I mean, and it's all just play money because they're all making outrageous amounts of money anyway. Plus, they get free cars and free gas and free country clubs. And and then you get uh, three three or four uh, vacations with your shoe deal. They have have conventions at uh, Punta de Mita, the Four Seasons there above Puerto Vallarta, which I heard from multiple people is just incredible. And somebody who's been there on a free trip... Has told you. Yes. It's incredible. Yes. And I don't begrudge any of that stuff. I would take it too. But this is going to be the price of winning football games going forward, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Whether anybody likes it or not. That's this the is reality, be the price man. Of winning and the fans games. don't care. That 60 some thousand, whatever, in the Rose Bowl, they didn't care. They were having the time of their lives. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Ben Anderson talking jazz with us in 15 minutes. Stay with us. The new zone lineup is here. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hanson Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 6. Live and local. All day, every day. This is 975-1280 the zone. Powered by KSLSports.com. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. College football's transfer season is ramping up, and the Pac-12 could be right in the middle of it on multiple accounts. Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Wilson, Williams announced on his Twitter account he's entering the transfer portal. He was the starter. He took the job away from Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler already transferred out of Oklahoma. Now the starter, Caleb Williams, with the coaching change, could make a move. Former UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel, who was leaving to go to UCLA, announced he is instead going to flip and go to Oklahoma. So he clearly expects Williams to leave and to be able to get the job there. Williams to USC, PK. He follows his coach, Lincoln Riley. Well, that's the obvious. 
Sure, yeah. But also her UC Los Angeles. Or he didn't rule out going back to Oklahoma. He did not. Which means that Dylan Gabriel might not rule out whatever he's going to do. <laughs> All these elite quarterbacks looking at each other like, it's musical chairs. Where can I sit down and get a starting quarterback job? Yeah, not just a starting quarterback job, but where can it best utilize my talents? Because Williams could have stayed at Oklahoma. Right. Uh, but where, he's got a new... Where's new... my best chance to audition for the NFL? Yes. And where can I get more NIL money? Where What's in it for me? Do you think quarterbacks at this level are being dri- driven by the NIL money, or they've got their eyes on the NFL Every now? Every single person on the planet I, ever I get you want the NIL money. By money by I know, man. but the NFL is the money. That's the biggest payday. Right, but why not get as much money as I can you now? Do you do want to get both. You obviously can go to the NFL from Oklahoma. That's a proven fact. But I think Williams is looking at a new staff thinking, how am I going to be used? How are they going to use the offense? Am I really going to have a good NFL If you're good there? enough, you're going to be in the NFL. A coaching staff isn't going to keep you down from getting to the NFL. I don't believe that. I'm sure there's some examples to one degree or another. But if you're good enough... So if you're if you're awesome, I totally agree. Was it was it Brandon Doman that kept Jake Heaps from the NFL? No, it was Jake Heaps who kept Jake Heaps yeah. from the NFL. And John Elway was on an incredibly mediocre college football team, and he had no issues. When you're that kind of slam dunk, fine. Right. I mean, that's Elway's, but you're right. going to the highest level. Exactly. I'm not going. To, I'm just talking about making an NFL roster and making some NFL money, uh, like Colt McCoy who is hung around for many years now. Sure. But those guys are all worried about, hey, I want to be a high draft pick so that I get two years or three years to prove myself, as opposed to I'm a lower draft pick, things have got to break my way, where am I going? No, everybody wants to win. If you're good enough, Taysom Hill was a no draft pick, and he's just signed a what? He's going to make more money. He can buy Pocatello if he ever wants to go back there. So (laughs) I don't... Pocatello's fenced off private property. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Now, Taysom Hill doesn't live here. Taysom Hill owns here. Uh, so uh, you can do whatever, man. I mean, they got this movie out by Kurt Warner about you're Kurt Warner. name it Taysom, Idaho. Yeah, so you can do whatever. I, I think money's a big deal. Yeah. Well, if you're worried about what future money you're going to get, why wouldn't you be worried about what money you're going to get now? DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Jazz win again. That is 15 out of the last 18. But there's a loss to the Warriors in there. And that takes the edge off it. We'll talk Jazz basketball with Ben Anderson. Big month of January coming up. Big regular season games. We'll talk with Ben next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Ben Anderson. Warm him up an hour early before he and Jake take over at 10 o'clock. Ben, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Clear those pipes, Ben. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> the Jazz beat the Pelicans, but how much are you putting stock in this road trip, having just seen the Jazz and the Warriors looking at the standings, knowing what's coming in the playoffs, and knowing later this month the Jazz play the Warriors again, they play the Suns twice, they play the Grizzlies, they play the Nuggets twice. I know every game matters, and you got to win every game, and they won last night. And Isn't it, though, about all these big games in January? Yeah, you look at, you know, they got 45 games left after last night's victory and 15 or 13 of those, excuse me, almost uh, almost 30% of these games are against teams that have top four seeds right now in the East or the West. So the Jazz can beat the Pelicans. They can beat even Denver, who's, you know, the fifth or the sixth seed right now because they've been so unhealthy. But it's going to really matter. I think the, the confidence is going to be built by how they perform against uh, Golden State, like you mentioned, 
Phoenix, like you mentioned, Brooklyn, which they'll get uh, twice still before the end of the year. And you know what? I mean, you've got the trade deadline coming up in just a couple of months, so I, I'm sure all of those deadlines and these performances are being weighed pretty heavily right now in that front office. Yeah, that's why I think Joe is going to find a new place here before too long. I think they're going to make a move, and I think they're going to go for a defensive-minded wing. Who do you got? Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting. I almost wonder if because the the Jazz assets, unless they're willing to move on from a Boyan Bogdanovich or a Jordan Clarkson, I think those are. I just think those are such valuable assets and so important to what the Jazz are doing because their offense is still going to be their best weapon. They're good defensively. I don't know if they're truly going to be elite, elite defensively, even with one trade, the way you can watch Golden State and just see how well they move together, how truly elite they are as a defensive team. I don't think the Jazz get there with one move, so I don't think you cut off your nose to spite your face or whatever analogy you want to use. I don't think you move one of your best offensive players to get just a little bit better defensively. So I do think you are probably talking more of a guy like Joe Ingles and a young player or Joe Ingles and a future draft pick. And then you almost got to hope that you get involved in a three-way trade where you kind of just make salaries work and you get the best player out of it. Now, you know, I, I don't know if that means Marcus Smart's available. I'm sure Danny Ainge knows how available Marcus Smart is and what it would take to get him. And that's probably the type of advantage who's out there. There's names like Lou Dort that have been passed around, and I'm always curious about Lou Dort. Do Jazz fans love him because – you know, when you see him play against the Jazz, he averages 20 points a game and helps lock up Donovan Mitchell. And is he just not that player against the rest of the league? Because if he played that way every night, he'd be one of the best players and no one would ever talk about him being available. So clearly there's going to be some warts there if you do trade for him. But if he's available, those are probably the types of names you're looking for. Uh, we talked about this with Joe. Joe went into it actually with a little bit of prompting, but not a lot. And wherever you get podcasts, you can go back and listen uh, to their show on uh, – I think it was December 30th is when we had him on. And uh, and he talked about this, and he acknowledged, hey, I've got the expiring contract. Nobody else does. So for Jazz fans who are wondering, in addition to talent, just from the cap relief or a luxury tax relief angle, he's the one that really makes sense. And you could hear it in his voice. He doesn't like it, but he knows it. So people tend to make deals with people they know. So when you bring up the Celtics, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's the front office that Danny Ainge is familiar with. That's the front office that, you know, he, he could probably wheel and deal with. And you know what? Teams even, I, mean, I don't want to say they do each other favors, but certainly there's some kind of, you know, willing to work together if there's familiarity in the front office. You know, the Jazz made a couple of small, not major, but kind of little tiny draft night trades that ended up benefiting the Knicks after Walt Perrin moved there. And there's just some familiarity there. You know, there's just some guys that are there in that front office that, you probably know, and you say, well, we want to get, you know, this second-round pick, and the Knicks want this pick, and, you know, you think you can probably work together, and there's some goodwill. So you would hope there's still goodwill with Danny Ainge and the Celtics. It doesn't seem like any uh, bridges have been burned. And, look, Danny's going to look under all the, all, all the different rugs that are out there in the NBA. He's going to find out a deal if there's one available for the Jazz. And, look, you know, I mean, it sounds like teams are already going after Joe Ingles. There was that rumor that popped up last week that Quinn Snyder, you know, refuted a trade. Uh, two Golden State, I think it was, with Joe Ingles and then kind of made sure it didn't get pushed through. So the, the name has been thrown out there. I'm sure there's still value for Joe Ingles around the league, maybe not as much today as there was in the offseason. But he's still a guy who I think some teams would like to get some of that expiring money. And he can still shoot. He can still play. And I think if you get him in a, a safe spot where his confidence comes back, he'll continue to play better. I think that uh, as far as January, yeah, there's big games and all. 
But I sort of view it as uh, what are they going to do in the postseason because it looks like they'll get either Phoenix or Golden State in the second round. And it's sort of like uh, we went through four months of college football and we got Georgia-Alabama, like no kidding. And so to me, you know, they can have these big games and this and that, but it's when we get to the second round of the playoffs, you're going to either be playing Phoenix or Golden State. And if you want to get the NBA Finals, you're going to probably have to beat Phoenix and Golden State. I don't see uh, anything but that happening. Oh, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's some inevitability there, which is probably a good thing. I mean, I think that probably makes it a little bit easier to decide how you want to operate before the trade deadline and what things you want to accomplish. And therefore, you don't hopefully, I think, buy into too much regular season success because I won't be surprised if the Jazz come back from this road trip with a perfect 5-0 and record. They're better than Denver. They're better than Toronto. They're better than Indiana. They're better than Detroit. So they already beat New Orleans, and they play really hard on the road when they you know, feel like they need to prepare a little bit more or they face a little extra adversity that they don't face when they're at home because the fans are at their back. They sharpen up a little bit, and just by tightening up a little bit, they're so naturally talented and have so much chemistry that they just blow past these teams, which is why I think they've won nine straight road games. But you know, you, you do need to make sure you recognize that your season's going to end with seven games or five games or you know, hopefully not four games against the, the Suns or the Warriors in the second round, and you need to make sure you're most prepared for that. And I'm sure that's not lost on this Jazz front office. So they put up a graphic during the broadcast about the Jazz, how they rank, you know, number one or two in the league in offense or defense at home or away, with the exception of defense at home, (laughs) which instead of being elite was mediocre. Do you think they just think, oh, these guys are at altitude, we got our fans, and so they bring the B-minus effort defensively? Is there any other way to explain why they're 17th in that category when they're elite and everything else? I, I I think that's right. I mean, I, I think there is just this kind of feeling that you roll out of bed and you're so good and you're at home that things should naturally take care of themselves. And remember, I mean, they were incredibly good last year at home. Where they have a 22-game home winning streak. They set a team record for consecutive home wins. They lost two early to, I don't know if it was the Suns and the Timberwolves, I think it was, but they lost a couple of weird games early and then just went on the streak where they were unbeatable. And it felt like, okay, you know, this is going to be the case again for this team. And it hasn't been. But look, they lost in the playoffs last year. I mean, they lost game five to the Clippers, which is the reason they got eliminated by the playoff, or by the Clippers in game six in Los Angeles. So I, I do think there needs to be some respect that, hey, you're not just going to flip a switch at any point. And it does kind of feel like they roll out of bed feeling like, hey, we're at home. We're one of the top three teams in the West, if not in the NBA. If we flip this switch, everything's going to be fine. Because they haven't passed that test against teams like Golden State. How do you think the small ball thing is going? It's not going super well right now because Rudy Gay is not playing very good. You know, Rudy Gay is just not all that engaged defensively. He's getting blown by, and I think it's still probably trying to figure out exactly what some of his role is, which is unfortunate because I actually thought he had a couple of good games where Quinn Snyder said, hey, let's stop trying to make you George Niang. Let's stop having you hang out on the three-point line. And if you want to take 18-foot post-up jump shots, and that's where you're going to get more comfortable, and that's going to get you more engaged on the defensive end, Let's do that because you got to do something. You got to offer something. And if you're just missing threes and then not playing defense or not really helping that much on that end of the floor, that doesn't do anything for you. And then Hassan gets hurt, so he has to go and play as the backup center. And I don't think that's quite a natural fit for him the way I think you know the Jazz would like him to. And he certainly hasn't had as many reps in his career playing backup center. So where he can be a big power forward and shoot over guys and feel comfortable. He loses a little bit of that when he has to go out and guard Jackson Hayes or Jonas Valanciunas or whoever he had to, to D up last night. I think that ends up being difficult. So 
it's a work in progress. I wouldn't say it's something you want to abandon totally because it's probably something you want to be able to go to a little bit more often. But look, one of the reasons the Jazz second unit last year wasn't very good was because Derek Favors wasn't very good last year. I mean, he just was not as good as Hassan Whiteside is right now. So if Hassan's going to be better than Favors, I don't know if you necessarily feel like you have to rely on small ball. And one of the things I've really liked as the Jazz have done is they're giving Rudy Gobert the ball in the post. And, and Quinn Snyder talked about it last week. He said it's fighting for the rim. It, it, it has equal parts to do with the Jazz' willingness to pass in the ball, but also Rudy Gobert's willingness to get to within one or two feet and not stop at five or six feet because he can't do anything at five or six feet. He's too close to other defenders. He's not all that good turning around and shooting the ball. He doesn't have great touch. But it is, you know, a foot out from the rim, two feet out from the rim, he's so long he can dunk it or he can get fouled, and that's certainly more valuable uh, than just you know throwing the ball down to him at six feet and having it result in a turnover. I feel like the small ball discussion has gotten off a point here. It's not that the problem with, with Rudy is that he can't be everywhere at once. The problem with the Jazz defensively is it's too easy to get past guys and break the paint, as they like to say. It's just too easy to get in to get around guys and get into the lane. And I thought the most interesting part of the post game after the Pelicans game was the discussion about well, why are guys better or why aren't they better when... Well, Rudy clearly intimidates people. And guys look like better defenders when Rudy's standing behind him, whether a guy goes around him or not. And if Rudy's dragged out to the corner by a, a, a guy who can shoot, or if he's subbed out, or if he's in foul trouble and he's out because of that, well, now guys aren't intimidated. And your perimeter defense doesn't look as good. And I don't think putting Rudy Gay in there is going to make the perimeter defense a lot of, a lot better. Some guys are still going to get beat. So when you put Rudy Gay in there, what you need is an offense that scores at a really high rate so you're not giving up ground because you're probably giving up more points. I don't think they can yeah. change that. I, I almost actually wondered, we saw it a little bit against the Mavericks on Christmas night, is maybe you just make Rudy your primary defensive player. Rudy Gobert, that is. I mean, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe if they want to switch or if they're going to bring the ball up the floor, if it's Reggie Jackson this year like it was with the Clippers, just put Rudy on him. Fine. If you can beat Rudy Gobert off the dribble and then beat him to the rim where he's recovered and had those you know game-winning block shots against Dame or DeLon Wright, we remember against the Mavericks a couple of years ago, if you think you can score on him one-on-one, fine. And then you got to trust your other Jazz defenders to stay in front of their guy, but if your best player is going to have the ball in his hands, why not just put your best defender on him? And, and I don't think it's even close. The Rudy Gobert is not just the Jazz's best rim protector, but he's their best perimeter defender. He's longer than anyone. He moves his feet better. He doesn't fall for pump fakes. He doesn't foul you on the three-point line. Like He does everything so well on the defensive end. Maybe he is your Ben Simmons. Maybe he is your Draymond Green who can D up the best guy late in the game and, and fluster him into taking a bad shot or throwing the ball away. And Quinn, I think, has even toyed with that idea a little bit. So if you want to play small ball, you don't actually have to be small. You just have to be willing to pull your big guy out. And if they're willing to pull their big guy out and especially put him on the ball, yeah, it puts some onus on the Jazz other players to, to do well, but at least you're not asking Rudy Gobert to defend the paint and defend the ball. I want you to guarantee me that Mike Conley will be healthy for the playoffs. <laughs> I think Quinn Snyder's doing his best, and I think it's frustrating Mike Conley. I mean, I think there are a lot of games, especially back-to-backs, where Mike wishes he was playing and then finds himself a little bit out of a rhythm. He was bad the last three games until last night. He was shooting you know, 34% from the floor and 22% from the three-point line and you know, like 4 of 13, 4 of 15 every night. So he wasn't playing very well. Uh, but when he's on, he's incredible. He's really one of the probably 25 best players in the NBA, and you saw that again last night. So Quinn Snyder's trying his hardest to keep this, this, this team as healthy as possible, and specifically Mike Conley as healthy as possible, because knock on wood, Rudy and Donovan seem pretty durable. 
Uh, so if you can keep Mike Conley healthy when you get to the playoffs, that's going to help a ton, especially if you can find you know one more little piece to, to kind of complement the defense. Warriors are 3-1 and one against the Suns and Jazz combined, and I thought they really passed the eye test, and obviously they didn't have Draymond, and they're about to get Clay back. Uh, should we be penciling them in as heavy favorites? People talk about the NBA being wide open. Is it wide open in your mind, or are the Warriors the team to beat? I actually still think the Suns are probably the team to beat in the West, more so than the Warriors. And I, I like the Warriors. I, I'm still a little bit curious if I'm buying into Jordan Poole and Gary Payton, the second being able to go out and win you games in the playoffs. And look, when they once they start doing it, they do it. You know, I didn't believe in the Suns last year either, and they made the finals. And you know, we're up whatever it was four games or three games to one or three games to two and ended up blowing that lead. So it's not like it's impossible for them to get there. I'm still a little curious if when push comes to shove, and yes, I I watched them lose to the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in tournament last year to not make the playoffs, and obviously they're not going to find themselves in that situation this year, but I'm still a little bit curious if all those pieces are going to fit that well and perform that well when it gets to the playoffs versus that whirlwind of playing against a team like that that's pretty unique because they are so small, because they don't have a real big guy that plays, because they switch everything defensively. You run into those teams in the regular season, and it's hard to prepare for them with one shoot-around or a practice. And then once you get to see them four times, five times, six times, you start to pick apart some of their weaknesses or find ways to trap them in different ways. So Jordan Poole can't go off and you let Steph beat you or Steph can't go off and you try and make Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins beat you. And they've got to prove that they can do it. And maybe they can. Uh, but, but I wouldn't at this point, from my perspective, pencil them in as some overwhelming favorites to make it, you know, even past the second round of the playoffs. They, they can get there. But I, I think if you're trying to drop the conference finals now, you might just be picking names out of a hat between the Jazz, the Warriors, and the Suns. Where does Jake Scott rank on your list of favorite co-hosts that you've worked with? Okay, I mean, most of the shows I've done, like PK, you and I have done one show together. DJ, actually, I don't think you and I have ever done a show together. We've hung out during jazz games. I'm doing an hour with Scotty today. I did Hands last week. Obviously, Kyle Gunther for a long time. I did it with Tony Jones for a Saturday show for a while. <laughs> well, like he's top seven. Top seven? Okay. <laughs> nice. Conservatively, he's okay. top seven. Okay. Well, he can get top but, four. He can get into the college football playoffs. So he really doesn't need to improve that much. Well, look, and if we expand, he'll be in regardless. So Good point. He's, he's in good standing. He's doing fine. Okay. He'll be really happy to hear that. Just work with him some more. You can get there. Yeah, right, right. It's it's a work in progress, and that's fine. I don't. He'll get there. I have faith. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. I can bring him along. All right, Ben. Good warm up uh, segment. You should be ready to go at ten o'clock today. Yeah, I get her. Better get dressed. See you guys. <laughs> All right. See you, Ben. Ben Anderson. He and Jake will be along ten o'clock today, right here on the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, what'd you miss in today's show? All the stuff we're talking about. We will get to it next. Stay with us. This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Denton Goodman, who DM'd me on Twitter, he said the Utes will go to, quote, a lot of Rose Bowls? That's hilarious. You sound like a homer. Outside of USC, what Pac-12 schools in history have gone to, quote, a lot of Rose Bowls? Washington? Yeah, Washington. Oregon's now seem to be doing pretty well. I mean, they don't go to a lot of Rose Bowls, but they'll be there pretty regularly. I put Oregon in the USC category. I don't know if Utah can do it on that frequent of basis, but yeah, why not? Like, I think Utah could very easily be it to a decade, which is a lot. That's once every five years. That's basically once a recruiting cycle. I think that's probably pretty reasonable for what this Utah football 
program is right now. I think they'll be back multiple times. How about that? Is that better than a bunch? Here's my take. Utah's going to go to a lot of Rose Bowls. I don't need to change that. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Every day from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Time to get you up to speed on everything you have missed in the show. If you joined us late, the 9 a.m. Slacker Radio headlines brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air, home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special or visit them online at leesheatac.com. Talked a lot of football today. The transfer portal getting busy. Former UCF quarterback Dylan Gabriel who announced he was leaving UCF for UCLA. He says, no, wait a minute, I might be going to Oklahoma. That's because Oklahoma quarterback Caleb Williams announced on Twitter that he's entering the transfer portal. They already lost Spencer Rattler, who started the year as a Sooner starter. Texas, they made the switch. Williams looked great. He quarterbacked the team the rest of the year, but now maybe he's going to follow the new coaching staff to USC. But he has not ruled out staying at Oklahoma with the new coaching staff there. But maybe he goes to USC with Lincoln Riley. Maybe he do. To be determined. And maybe Jackson Dart goes to Oklahoma. What will happen to the former Corner Canyon star? Will he stay and compete, or will he move on? I say compete. If Caleb Williams does indeed go to USC. He considered them. It could happen. Why not? You going to go in a Big 12? Nice. Come on back home. And chances of Hall staying healthy for a year are slim. Unfortunately for him, doesn't seem to be the case. Right? You get a chance and then win the job. Seize it, if you will. Other quarterbacking news in the NFL, Ben Roethlisberger, last home game as a Pittsburgh Steeler. He took the victory lap around the field, high-fiving people after the Steelers beat the Browns 26-14. to Game with a lot of passing, a lot of dinking and dunking, a lot of incomplete passes. and Steelers kicked a bunch of field goals and win the game. Oh, it was scintillating, that game. Not really. Big Ben, 24-46 for 123 yards. Man, that's a lot of passes. That's a lot of passes for not many yards, right? Yeah. What is going on? And they won. They did win. It's very memorable, like when Greg Ostertag had that last game and they won. Nope. Remember that? Nope. Sure you do. Nope. I think you do. Nope. I know you do. Nope. Blocked it out. Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield confirmed he'll have offseason surgery to repair the torn labrum in his non-throwing shoulder. The Browns have been eliminated from playoff consideration. He may not even play next week. Browns and Bengals, the Battle of Ohio. Cincinnati's playing for playoff seeding. They've already won the division. Brown's playing for nothing, so he might be out. And Pittsburgh's playing Baltimore. Both teams still alive. The loser will be eliminated. The winner will have a chance to get in if the Jaguars pull the miracle upset of the Colts, which no one really expects to happen. And we've been talking about the global media tour of one George Klyavkov, Pac-12 commissioner. He's got plans to make the Pac-12 better after its worst non-conference football showing since 1983. That's a long time. But there were a lot of losses this year. Yeah, there were. Two to the Big Sky, 5-5 five and five versus the Mountain West in regular season, and then the bowl game loss. The thing that I love the most is that he tells you. Yeah. They were on five and bowls. No one's going to go and do research and Figure calculate. out 1983? Yeah, yeah. 
right? But he he did it, and then he's willing to tell the media. Own it. Look at Pac-12 schools. Own this. Yeah. you got to be better. Play to their pride. Right. Yeah, I mean, even their eventual champion lost to two non-Power 5 teams. The Utes' late collapse brought the Pac-12's bowl record 0-5 and the league's mark against other football bowl subdivision teams to an abysmal 9-23. Except I wouldn't say that it's a collapse in the Rose Bowl. I don't think they collapsed. They couldn't hold a 14-point lead, which it says in the previous Multiple sentence. times, but is that yes. really a collapse? You can argue with that word if you would like. After they came from How ahead to lose. How would you not argue that word, I would say? <laughs> that would be my statement. They didn't collapse. That's way too strong. They scored with uh, a minute and 43 to go, and they collapsed. So they weren't collapsed because <laughs> they came back to tie the game. Yes. <laughs> they didn't. Who wrote that? Jay Brady McCullough. Oh, come on, Jay Mack. Los Angeles Times. Collapse. So freaking biased. I'm so sick of the media bias. Yeah, but you want the media to be tough, so. I want it to be accurate is what I want. That's well, the number the one thing. Well, the abysmal 9 and 23 is the real point of this. And that is abysmal. You can argue with the word collapse, but you're not going to argue There's with the no word abysmal. argument. There is yeah. no argument. They didn't collapse. You can argue with yourself and be wrong both ways. They didn't collapse. There is no argument, so you can't argue. I disagree with that. I'll argue the argument. You want to argue, let's argue. But we're not arguing about collapse. 9 and 23, not good enough. And what was that, 9 and 23 on what? 9 and 23 against football bowl subdivision teams, the old 1A. So put aside the big sky type wins from their non-conference schedule. Move those off to the side. Okay, I've done that. Yeah, and you should do that too. Because those are scheduled wins, obviously. And Klavkov's going to make a big deal about that because it's really hard to go to the potential media partners, ESPN, Fox, maybe CBS, we'll have to see. And say, hey, put our games on in better time slots. And they're like, eh, most people don't live in your part of the country and you lose a lot. It's not a compelling case. And he knows it, and he's probably already heard it. Because they know the 9-23. and 23. Yeah, they've got to get way better. It's just a fact, man, obviously. And I think the first step is to addressing the problem, or else you're not going to get there unless you acknowledge it. And he needs to put pressure on these schools to get with it. Time to get freaking with it, man. He's got to like the direction Utah's gone. He's got to like the fact that USC's gone out and hired Lincoln Riley. He's probably not pumped that Oregon keeps losing coaches to the far side of the country. Well, but they hire guys from over there. What do you expect? You take somebody who is... Washington hired a guy who was in the 2,500, West. 3,000 miles away, and then he's got a chance to go home. It's like, does anybody begrudge Jeff Grimes for going closer to home? No. no. Do we begrudge Steve Cleveland for going to Fresno? Nobody wants to go to Fresno, but Fresno's home for him. So he went home. Right? It happens. It happens all the time. Folks going home or in the vicinity of home, especially as your parents get older 
and they get closer to death. Time is running out. So I don't blame the guys for leaving. I blame Oregon for hiring those guys and Oregon having the audacity to think we're a destination place when you're nothing but a stepping stone. Sing it. You're nothing but a stepping stone. You're nothing but a stepping stone. What, what, what am I singing? Never mind. Let's oh. move on. Well, you asked me to sing it. So yeah, I, I thought you knew. I sang it. You're nothing but a stepping stone. Now, who can join? I don't care if your name is Joan. Who can join those three teams in getting ranked? I'm done throwing you a bone. Who can join those three teams in getting ranked and drawing a little positive attention to the conference? Getting ranked. I like that. Getting ranked. Getting ranked. <laughs> Win enough to get You're yourself ranked. Western guy, you. Yeah, I am. We're going to get to the. We're going to get to the pig farm story in a minute. Getting ranked. Yep. Every one of them is capable of doing it. Everyone who has done it prior can. Well, do everyone's it again. done it at some point, and Oregon State then, was in a fiesta bowl back they can in do the it again. day. That's my very point. Arizona was in a fiesta bowl back in the day. And have you done it? And that's recent, not. 50 years ago. I mean, UNLV Arizona's is not in the re- last recreate Tark. Yeah, Arizona's in the last decade, and Oregon State's going back two decades. Well, Washington every, State was in a Rose Bowl in the last Everybody years. in the South has won the division in the last decade. Yes, they've handed that around. Yeah. So if you did it before in the last 10 years, you can do it again. The question is not can they do it again, can they maintain it? That's the issue. Not can they do it. That's the wrong question. The question is, once you do it, why didn't you maintain it? And if you do it again or when you do it again, can you maintain it then? Because you've all done it. You've all proven you can do it. So do what Utah did and win it three times in four years. Start getting some level of consistency. That's the issue, not whether they can do it. That's been the big problem. For all of these, for every program in the South. And right now, Utah's got it going on, so we'll put them across uh, the line a little bit. You know, how long can they maintain it? Because they have maintained it. That's the question for Utah, is how long you can maintain it, because they have maintained it. The other five, can you get there again? And when you get there, can you maintain it? Because so far, the answer has been five no's. That's the problem. South's been a little more top-heavy. I mean, the North, excuse me, the North, North, North. Spent a lot of time on that this morning. There's a lot of responses. They're out there on Facebook. They're out there on uh, Twitter if you want to check them out. Check them out. Check them out. Yeah. Spent a lot of time talking uh, football with Thane Marshall, Milford High's football coach. Coach Bryson Barnes in high school. Barnes comes off the bench in the fourth quarter when Cam Rising gets hurt. Leads the Utes on a touchdown pass. Marshall had a couple of great stories that Barnes was a prodigy in elementary school. Elementary school teacher said you only beat him in games if, you, uh, if the teacher played and he cheated. And in the eighth grade when he was team manager, they had a defensive coordinator who had been a JC coach in Southern California. And they got into a... Uh, a little bit of a back and forth about defenses and how to beat them. And the eighth grader found himself getting kicked out of the defensive team he room. showed him. <laughs> yeah. Who's that kid? He's going to be our starting quarterback next year. And he started as a freshman. 
put in a lot of time, and they wish they'd cut them loose on the opening drive. If not let them throw, at least let them run it on that opening drive when everybody was keen on the running back. Could they have popped a big play with the quarterback? Well, in unless legs. they would have gotten a first down off of it, then that would have been the right thing to do. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thomas breaks an 80-yarder. That yeah. was brilliant. Right. So, sort of the way I view that. He was entertaining. If you didn't hear that interview, and he got into the the pig farm and the responsibilities and uh, and all that kind of stuff, and uh, and how he got recruited, you quizzed him on how he got recruited to Utah and how he ended up there. You can uh, check all that out wherever you get podcasts. We had him on at the start of the eight o'clock hour, our third hour today. So wherever you get your podcasts, if you want to go back and hear that interview, help yourself to that. And then we talked basketball with Ben Anderson. We talked a little bit about the Jazz game. Wind's getting a little ho-hum for you, PK. They're so dominant on the road now. No. They're better than New Orleans. They had them. You never doubted it. Oh, I didn't doubt that they were going to lose that game. No. Not at all. So they don't get ho-hum because that's the point. You're supposed to go out and win. It's just that I think this team is going to look different after the All-Star break. Make a deal before the deadline. Joe's got the expiring contract, and they feel like they need more of a defensive presence on the perimeter, and that is going to lead to something. Well, it doesn't look like they need more offense. The offense is elite. Yeah, it looks like they got plenty of that, so you can see where their line of thinking is, and then we'll see what, what, uh, what player, if they bring in somebody, will evaluate it and go nuts at that time. I think that's about uh, seven weeks away. Trade deadline. I thought I saw it was February 10th. Because I think they moved it up. Now you'll type it in. I will check out. for you so that we don't give people a maybe, kind of, sort of. Nobody knows what it is. I know. That's what we were going to tell them. You're right. You're right. It's February 10th. So it would have been the 11th. It wouldn't have. February 10th, 3 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Mountain. Thanks for that clarification. That's that. You are a TV guy, man. You just let us know. Should be the second th- Thursday. It's always a Thursday for some reason in February. I don't know why it's always a Thursday, but that's what they do it. No idea. Right. Couldn't have even told you it was a Thursday, to be honest. Oh, it's always a Thursday. Yeah. I know it's a Thursday. It's always on a Thursday. Because it, it reminds me of Thanksgiving. Trade deadline, Thanksgiving. <laughs> Your big Thursdays? Yeah. <laughs> Famous Thursdays, people. Hit us up. Yeah. Anything else you want to pass along to the people? This has been the heartbeat of the show. Yeah, Washington is going to introduce their new name on February 2nd. I don't know why they just don't go with the pigskins. Washington football team will be rebranded. Then they can be the Skins. Stay with the same color scheme. Well, you don't have to change. Stay with the same nickname of a nickname. You don't have to be a very small adjustment. You don't have to change the colors unless you want to for make more money and all that stuff. If you want an alternate, I don't know. Do they do that in the NFL? I've sort of lost the uh, the luster of the uniforms because they're ever changing now. Mm -hmm. It's like I don't know what they are or what you're wearing today and it's gotten to the point where everybody does it and I literally don't care what you wear. 
It means nothing anymore to me. You've beaten it into the ground. Well, they've, they've gotten so varied. I don't care anymore. You can do whatever, basically. You can change it on the fly. Or you can have radical changes or minor changes, whatever. Everybody does the minor changes. Those are a given. Yeah. And it's, but the radical changes are pretty common. To the point they're not that radical. Right. That's, not, that's, that's yeah. precisely my point. So I mean, the jazz have worn a lot of colors. Yeah. We've seen the jazz in uh, sky blue. We've seen the jazz in gold. We've seen the jazz in white. We've seen the jazz in green. We've seen the jazz in purple. We've seen the jazz wear black uniforms. I mean, it's, And it doesn't phase me in the least yeah. anymore. They all can do whatever they want because everybody's doing it. Right. So it's not newsworthy to me anymore. For some people it is, and that's fine. If, if uniforms matter to you, but they don't. The thing that matters to me is how they play in those uniforms. Not what, because I'm expecting like, today one, tomorrow another, basically. And, and, and I, at this point, I just look right through it. I don't even notice it. But I notice how they're playing. Jazz right now playing well, 15-3 and three in their last 18 games. Well, they got to win these next two. So you can get your 17 and yeah, 3? I harped on that for weeks. You just picked two <laughs> random numbers out of the air, and these add up to 20. Yeah, that sounds well, good. I wanted a 20-game yeah, sample. It's a quarter of the season. And it's I thought a round 18 number. and 19 would Was be too stra- much to ask yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they did the 20 out of 21 last year. Yeah, I know. But I still, or 21 out of 22, maybe. That's outrageous. Yeah. So, so I, you were going with a more reasonable yeah, 17 yeah, yeah. and 3. Yeah. But you guys calm down and just win 85% I, of your I mean, games. it wasn't totally random. Well, you had last year's measuring. But this is what good teams do in the league. The really good teams go often go on. They normally don't win 14, 15 games in a row. At some point, you're at a back-to-back short a guy and somebody gets you. Right, right. Or the the other guys get hot, and that's the NBA. It's it's life in the NBA. So I don't expect, I very rarely, if at all, expect a 15-game winning streak. But if you're a really good team... And I used just a 20, because 20 was easy. If I went 25, then I'd have to start to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> that number's too hard for you? I'd have to think much harder, yeah. 22 and 3. 21 and 4. Yeah, but see, then then you start thinking, okay, how special a, is that? 20's a rounder number. Yeah, 20 was easier for me to pluck 17 and 3. Well, they're almost there. I know, so they got to get it's it. It's Denver and Toronto. Since I said it, they got to get it. <laughs> Oh, okay. That's what's driving them. Yeah. It's not driving them. It's driving me. Quinn, are you aware you're just two games away? (laughs) Hey, dude. Come on. That guy on the radio, he said, we got to get it. Come on, Quinn. And now they want it. There's no question they want it. They do want it, of course. They want to win the next two games. I don't know that they're even aware of your 17-3. Oh, they listen. Oh, you're nobody. You were telling us earlier. Yuck, did he not tell us earlier this morning he's he's nobody? Jake, leave him alone. No, he did say that. I am nobody. But they listen. Yeah, they listen. Although you're nobody. (laughs) I'm I'm not anybody in terms of celebrity. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Thank you, Yock. I get tired of saying that. I am not I, that, nor do I want that. Okay. But they PK uh, you to death at the Rose exactly. Bowl. Exactly. When, when people find out what I do... <laughs> people want to talk to you in the bathroom. Come on. You know the Multiple per- stories about that. The first that. person they ask about? Not that guy. It's no, PK. Oh, no, no. That's What's he really I'm, like? I'm the loud mouth and... And uh, but but there's no celebrity there. Believe me, I'm just an average dude trying to survive and live a tortured life to get on the next day. But 
They do know I know what the hell I'm talking about. Comma. That's a fact. <laughs> they listen. When we come back, your feedback. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. What do you have to say about today's show? Plenty. <laughs> we got suggestions here that are not going to fly. Josh Williams, Pac-12 and 0-5 in the bowl games. What can be done to improve this conference? Josh says, salary cap, sort of. Put a cap on five-star recruits for teams. Spread out the talent, and it ruins the SEC at the same time. Not happening. <laughs> that would be radical. Radical, right? Yeah, not happening. Uh, fire Kyle, Kyle Whittingham at Fire Coach Witt. Like fans, again. yeah, fans that hold coaches and ads accountable. Football being the most important thing, etc. Well, the coaches have been held accountable. I mean, they've been firing coaches in this league left and right. Ads maybe not quite as quickly, but is it higher than the ads as a presidential? Football's real important to the PR image of your university. You got to invest in it. The front porch and all that stuff. Well, I don't think it's the front porch. I think it's the entire house. Goes beyond the porch, unless the porch is some big wraparound. Brainless Steve says, can't really mandate the whole conference improves in a certain way. It's up to the individual schools. But USC's already taking steps. It's simple, better coaching, recruiting, developing the talent. Same recipe success as anyone else. No, you can't mandate it, but there's all sorts of conversations that the commissioner has. His influence. Yeah, right, right. But aren't they already headed down this road? Because he's, he's saying this publicly now. He's been in the league a year. He said some of the stuff the day he was hired. He must have said in the interviews before he got hired. Of course They he must did. have been looking for some of this. Yeah. The attitudes were already changing. It hasn't changed the results yet because that's a longer process. But the attitude is already changing or this guy wouldn't have gotten hired. Well, yeah, but if you go read his stuff saying they need to understand that the return on the investment, so that would so mean they, that they haven't grasped it yet. So the want to is there, but the how to but, execute uh, it isn't there. Oh, sure. I, I want to do this and that. I want to right. have a Charles Atlas body. Right. But they haven't I mean, realized. Say that. We'll cut the sugar out of your diet. Yeah, 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 quit blah, blah, eating blah. after six o'clock at night. On and on and go on. Go to the gym five times a week. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Drink more water. Yeah. And here's some supplements you need to take. Now you said that. Thank you. And PK takes a drink. Ah. I I had six 16 ounces yesterday. What's that? These things I drink. So I had 96 ounces of water. I think 64 is the target number. Oh, I have 64. Your mileage may. Your mileage may vary. Three quarters of a gallon. Nicely done. I mean, it depends on how hot it is and how much you're exercising. No. And yada, yada, yada. Not for, well, not to get to 64 for me. No, no. You need to get, everybody needs to get to 64. If you're living somewhere that's hot and you're outdoors, you're sweating a lot, 64 might not be enough. I get minimum 64. You want one ounce for every two pounds of your body weight. Maximum really? 96. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so what's that come out water? To? Yeah, I've been telling you that for years. <laughs> I need like 150 ounces. Okay, that's, that's a bit much. But Jeez, I'll be spending all day in the urinal. Debo at the Texas Ute. The Pac-12 needs better recruiting and coaching development. Blue Bloods need to carry their weight. Looking to you, USC and Oregon. Lincoln Riley and Dan Lanning are a good starting point. It remains to be seen how much they'll move the needle. 
Well, if Riley doesn't move the needle, no one's moving it. <laughs> and then USC's doomed. He's the biggest hire the conference has ever had. How do you argue that? I'm trying to think of everybody Chris hired Peterson. in the in the conference. Chris Peterson. Well, I'm talking about hire. the conference as a twelve. Oh, as a twelve, it's he, it's he and Chris Peterson. I was going way back. I was already trying to. No, but I don't know that even most of the people who succeeded before were, you know, Don James, who yeah, had a great who, run. That doesn't, I know. that doesn't matter. Then they've never the hired big people away. Now, they've never then. hired big people away. They've mostly grown their own. So Peterson and Riley are the big hires, and certainly in the Pac-12 era. But yes. you're a big homegrown guy. Where's the where's the tie to your own program? Depends on what what program you are. If there's somebody there, yeah. But that, that doesn't mean if you Harbaugh, Harbaugh to Stanford, I guess. Yeah, which but was, was a Pac-10 era hire, right? That's why I said that. Yeah, and Shaw, they was promoted. He's a he's, he's promoted a Stanford from dude all the yeah. way. He's a homegrown, and you know he's struggled here of late, but they had some great runs. We'll yeah. see what he can do. Three conference titles. Uh, so yeah, I I don't care who you hire. As long as the hire is good. <laughs> so, right? And that's basically what the fan base thinks, too. You hire whoever you want as long as he's really good. But with what they pay relative to the success you want people to have, then they're going to be hired away. Well, that's one advantage potentially of homegrown. Not always, but Kyle being it, here is a homegrown dude, and he could have left, but. Literally, his brothers are on the sidelines, and they're all not moving with him. (laughs) He's not uprooting 40 or 50 Kinahans. Right, and there's a whole—the whole family, the clan is local. I think every one of his siblings is local. I could be wrong on that. I think you're right, and it's different in— And they're all involved in the program. They're there every step of the way. They've changed the south end zone now, but in the old setup, literally, his friends and family— would be off to our left, listening to the post-conference, gather around tables, 25 yards away. And when he was done, we left, and he went over to them. I saw one of his brothers go through the regular entrance line at the Rose Bowl, and I was surprised. That there was no special... Yeah, I thought he would have gone on the, on the, the team, team bus and in the, the tunnel. Team through the, yeah. yeah, I was surprised. And this one in particular, who seems to be right there at all times... <laughs> Yeah, and it surprised me. I saw he and his family walking through the regular entrance. We may have an answer on the mystery of the Washington football team nickname. It's the pigskins. It is not, sadly. What is it? According to Andy Glockner, his former sports media guy, says that the WashingtonAdmirals.com goes back to WashingtonFootball.com, which is their official team site. That's the redirect. So Washington Admirals, maybe. I hope they did that just to throw everybody off. Probably. I hope they did. Uh, Brian, talking Pac-12, says, well, 2021 was bad due to the insane 20 conference COVID rules. Teams lose 90% of practice time, 70% of games. Teams spend all of 21 catching up. Disappointed the local media hasn't reported on this. Perhaps they will now. The Klyavkov put it in front and center yesterday. Okay, how about before that? I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a dumb The conference move. was struggling for a decade. Maybe this year was Particularly bad because of last year. So you get a little bounce back, but it still won't get you to the level that you need to be at. It'll be good that you're better, and hopefully you will be. Well, I think in fairness, uh, we need to check back basically in 2028. See where you are in five years. 
assuming all those players were hurt by all those mispractices. Well, and all this emphasis and the new TV deal, because he said it's 30 months. So what does that mean? In 2028, we should have our new playoff format for a while then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So things, there'll be multiple factors changing, as there right. usually are. Right, But there should be multiple factors changing for the better. I would think so, which yeah. Which should fuel... And if I want to lose 25 pounds or 100 pounds or 150 pounds... You've got to lose the first one. I mean, I ain't going to do it today. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? I, I start today. So you don't think the Pac-12 will have two of the four playoff teams next year? That's your point? I'm pretty sure they won't, no. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, stay with us. Jake and Ben are coming up next right here on The Zone Sports Network.